Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If this is your first time on the channel, be sure to join me for future content by hitting the subscribe button, hit that bell notification, and never miss another video again. Today, we are back for Unapologetic Truths, episode 14 with Harsh Strongman. How's it going? Hey, Armand. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Doing well, doing well. Uh, how late is it over in India right now? It's currently 9.15, so like a couple of hours before I sleep. What about yourself? So it's 10.46 a.m. EST right now. It's pretty cold in Tampa. What's the temperature there? Because I think that we have different definitions of cold. So today in Tampa, it's... Well, right now it's 57, but when I woke up in the morning, it was like 44 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. And I know you go by Celsius, right? So let me just switch to Celsius. 44 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's 6.6 Celsius. Damn, that is freezing weather. Yeah, okay. I thought you were going to say, that's nothing, man. (laughs) Man, I I find... 19 20 degrees super cold so six degrees is like insane insanely cold and the thing is it doesn't really get that cold in florida normally so when it was like that like this morning i was like man this is uh, not something that i'm used to Mm, six degrees is really cold i don't know how you guys live there live there it's just so cold so with Florida, this is something that isn't too, like, this is something that's very rare. But if you live in, like, New York, for example, that's where it gets really cold, where 44 degrees Fahrenheit is, at a certain time period, it's normal. Where here, it's, like, out of the norm. Does New York have negative weather, like, negative temperatures? I think so. I think when it's snowing, it gets like that. I hear Canada is really, really cold. Oh, yeah. I- I've never been to Canada, but I have relatives who mentioned the same thing. I don't know. I've just seen pictures of like giant amounts of ice and snow everywhere. And that just insanely cold. Have you ever seen snow? A couple of times. Oh, you physically saw it? Yeah. In India? Yeah, in India. We have a lot of hill stations, Arman. Oh, okay. So is it enough snow to like make a snowman? Yeah, you can ski. In fact, I was skiing. Oh, you skied before? Yeah, I've skied before, but not well, you know. What they do is like in the tourist spots, they make a flattish area for tourists who are skiing for the first time. And these two guys, like you had to, one or two guys and they will accompany you hold your hand and like push you slowly instead of you skiing down a mountain which is dangerous to do if you don't know what you're doing how is it skiing i heard it it's like a full body workout even though it looks easy so i don't have enough experience to to tell that because i skied once for like half an hour or one hour and that too was like on flat area with a guy pushing me. Like he would push me slightly and the ice is so slippery that he just keep going ahead until the other guy stops you. It's kind of like 
you know how objects in motion stay in motion mhm it's like that when you ski on ice like some some guy just pushes you from behind and then you just keep going because the ice is really slippery so there's very little friction and then until someone stops you or until you take that stick and put it in the ice again you just you'll just keep going forever right and you have to kind of switch like your feet positioning right i don't know like, i only skied for like a short amount of time <laughs> okay yeah because i mean i saw like a cartoon on it where the guy was saying if you're making your feet into an a shaped then it stops it if you make it into a v shape speeds you up or it could be the exact opposite are you watching south park now i was watching rocket power oh <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of rocket power no i've heard of south park though which has this episode on like skiing down a mountain where it's called french fries and pizzas i think i know i think i know which episode you're talking about i love south park by the way it's a very funny show it's a very very funny show so let me ask you a question uh, have you heard of family guy before or simpsons i've heard of both of these i think i watched some of these clips on youtube simpsons are the ones where they have these yellow people and right family guys where they have this evil kid and that right story yeah so there was this debate that i saw on facebook and instagram where they were comparing the three south park family guy or simpsons and it was one of the closest debates that i saw where there was no like clear winner everyone had their own preference do you know about the shows to have a preference or not really not enough about any of these shows except south park which i have watched like a lot of episodes at least when i was younger i did watch some episodes of rick and morty because i wanted to understand the memes i i think rick and morty is a good show at least the episodes that i watched and south park is really funny i like this character the most um the black one token mhm like, i it has this it has a very interesting way of doing humor that is somewhat kind of banned nowadays you know the fact that they're able to do it and the fact that you know it's still on tv is super interesting and their humor is actually good so it's not like a politically correct show where they're trying to appease people like they're doing nowadays with movies etc so it's it's actually funny and the fact that they haven't yet been canceled is astounding especially the early seasons. Did you ever watch like season 1 or season 2? Maybe, I don't know. I watched the first episode. Okay, then you probably know what I'm talking about where in the beginning South Park was completely unfiltered and even nowadays, I mean, you, you actually do have a good point with that because it's one of those shows that you would think would be first up for canceling in cancel culture. And I think it's been around for what like 15 plus years. No, oh, it has. Okay, that's crazy. No, more than that. I think the first episodes were like 1997. Right. Yeah, you're right. The first ever episode was August 13th, 97. So, it's like 25 years. Yeah, where The Simpsons is more so in the middle ground territory from South Park and Family Guy, where it's not something that's too controversial, but it's something that's ingrained in culture at this point. I don't think you can just remove simpsons from culture 
I don't know. I don't really have a reference point because this is, I would say, more mostly an American thing. And I've only watched like one or two episodes of The Simpsons on YouTube. And that was also just to get the memes that people keep shooting at me. They keep predicting the future. What? So there's this uh, concept with Simpsons where there's so many stuff that happened in the shows like years and years ago. And it just so happens that they made a prediction for the future. I think one of them is Trump uh, winning. Like, yeah. And I'm, it's not just a Trump thing either. There's If you go on certain websites, you'll see a lot of predictions that they got right. How many episodes have they made so far? Because, you know, if they're constantly producing content, then some of it is bound to happen. It writes 717 episodes. So if they're, like, doing interesting shit for 717 episodes, I bet, like, they would get a couple of dozen, a couple dozen of them right. So it's just, you know, chance. Yeah, no, no, I, I could definitely see that. Have you seen any of those memes about them getting the future correct? I've only seen the one with Donald Trump winning. Like They predicted it, and that's what made me watch some episodes to figure out what the show is about. I also uh-huh. saw the one where they predicted 9-11, which I'm not really sure is true or not. Right. Yeah, see, Simpsons isn't something that I could see getting cancelled, but I wouldn't be too surprised if people make... Uh, like an outrage out of South Park. I don't think these shows would get cancelled. I think over a long period of time, they would get pussified in the sense that they will just fire the original writers and bring some, you know, SJW guy to write the show and then it will become like shit. Like what they're doing to Lord of the Rings now where they're introducing like new SJW characters and putting diversity and basically ruining the franchise. Oh, they're doing that with Lord of the Rings? Yeah, so I think Amazon or someone bought the rights to it, and now they're going to have black hobbits and gay hobbits or whatever. And Why? Why Why do you want to ruin the show? But they, they want to do it with everything, I think. And there's this website called Nine Gag, which has these like memes. And it's, it's, a, it's not a very censored website, so people are actually communicating what they think over there. And you will often find people complaining about things like, you know, they have these comic books for children and the comic book is now about, say, protecting the environment instead of about Superman. So it's like, what? Like, that's not fun to read, you know? So they're they're ruining all of these and it's just, you know, bad business from them, for them, but they're idiots. It's kind of like what the Gillette uh, group did a couple of years back. You heard about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where they were marketing the women, right? Yeah, well, they made a commercial on toxic masculinity. Which is so dumb. Yeah, and the commercial is just so cringe. Where I saw it, I'm like, what are you guys doing? I mean, who who is this message for? And it just didn't make sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you are selling to men, then you being woke is like the dumbest thing you can do, okay? The dumbest thing you can do is be woke when you're selling to men. Especially products like shaving razors or strength training products because who needs stra- shaving razors these pussified men they don't need shaving razors they, they they don't have enough testosterone to grow a beard so who women don't need shaving razors <laughs> for the most part for the most part <laughs> so <laughs> it's like who's buying all of this stuff from you 
man so why are you basically calling your customer base toxic it's really dumb the only time where it pays to be woke is when you're selling to women so if if i sold makeup i would allow my marketing department to be woke because that works with women like women for example you know like if you want to sell cigarettes you remember how the old cigarette ads were like they would have this woman smoke and they would act like her, this woman inhaling this cancerous substances the epitome of women's rights and freedom and women bought that women loved it and women would start smoking so women love the whole wokeness and you know women are free women's rights bullshit and that works when you're trying to sell something to women like if you were selling makeup or clothes or whatever to women like you know that's what clothes companies are doing like when they sell sunglasses they show this really you know brazen woman who doesn't care about anything else and all the wokeness works with women but it doesn't work with men men don't give a shit like men if you you, you start showing say a brand where you buy a sunglasses and then you become like brazen men don't give a shit like men men aren't going to become woke the marketing only works for women for men you just want you want to not be woke you want to be based based mm. works for men because men believe in that yeah and i think one of the most important things is if things organically happen that's one thing but a lot of the marketing nowadays seems forced especially with the whole chillet thing it just seemed like something that wasn't congruent to their brand yeah i think that i don't know why it happened for sure but if i had to guess i would say that the marketing department hired a bunch of morons who thought this would be a good idea because these guys they don't nowadays you know most of the woke crowd they don't give a shit about business and things like numbers and money they just have this agenda they want to push at all costs so i think that jillat made a mistake but you know it's one of those things all the demand that they lost will go to a different brand which is good they will learn their lesson because people vote with their wallets mm do you ever see a wokeness creeping into the lmm brand no i believe it like i mean you have a certain principles that you stick by um how do you recommend that like as a company scales they try to navigate around the wokeness i mean if you want like a very broad market audience then your best bet is self censorship just don't see anything in the sense that think- for example if you're colgate everyone uses colgate so for colgate it would be a stupid thing to comment on anything woke or not woke or anything based you know what i mean because their market base is so wide that anything they say like that's even remotely political is going to offend either one side or the other so for them the best strategy is just staying silent for a smaller company i would just recommend either staying silent or if you're going to be honest and be honest about what you think and then don't don't change it too much like don't suddenly be like hey we're like a men's shaving club company and suddenly all men are toxic like don't don't do that <laughs> well that's why i mean i think we already talked about this in a past episode but i think one of the a big big scaled companies that haven't done much wokeness or if any 
has been the UFC so far. And as of late, I mean, their popularity has been booming. Which company? UFC. Um, fighting. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, the MMA company, right? Right, right. Oh, yeah, because they're selling to men. You know what I mean? See, they're smart. Their audience is men. Women are not going to watch fighting. So being woke is not going to work well. On the other hand, for products which women consume, you will find them slowly becoming more and more woke. Mm-hmm. Like feminist magazines, they keep getting more woke because women are buying it. And it's creeping into just entertainment as a whole. Where I mean, we were just talking about what comic books, and nowadays comic books has this kind of stuff. They're trying to do it, but it's not working, right? Like all these people don't watch. For example, you take a movie and you make it say woke. People just won't watch it as much, and then these guys will complain about say men being toxic and refusing to watch this feminist movie when really it's just a shitty ass movie now because you made it not funny or not interesting to watch with your whole activism bullshit so you will often see stuff like i've seen on twitter of these clips of these news articles where they took a movie and they basically redid the movie with just female characters and then no one watched it and then they're like men are toxic they're not watching my movie that's a lot like saying I started a restaurant. The food sucks, but all of you are toxic because you won't come here and eat. <laughs> Makes no sense whatsoever, but vote with your wallet and fuck these guys who gives a shit. They can go broke. <laughs> what do, about you? Do you like the whole woke stuff or do you don't do you not mind it? Because some people don't care. They're okay with it. My philosophy is always keep the art first. If you can keep the art first and something organically comes up, I don't mind that. So let's say you're an essayist or a short story writer. You're observing the world around you. And from your experience, you notice a lot of racism, sexism, etc. And you're creating your content with that as a centerpiece. Go for it because that's something that's organic. But on the other hand, if you're just like, All right, well, everyone else is talking about this and I need to do it. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to be a good look. That's when the organic nature just kind of seeps away. And also to add on to that, I believe you got to keep the classics, the classics, where when you're over here trying to infiltrate like a certain uh, philosophy into like comic books, movies, like redoing movies with just a certain gender. I don't think that's right, man. Keep the art as the centerpiece and build around that in this era especially with new media, you're more in charge of what you can consume. If you don't like it, find something else to consume. Uh, but don't force other people to abide by your philosophy. Agreed about that, especially keeping the classics the classics, because have you heard they're going to edit 1984, the book? Mm-mm. So these guys are going to edit the book biggest book on propaganda and add some propaganda to it which is just so ironic they recently said this yeah i think it's very recent like the 1984 is going to be edited to become i don't know politically correct or whatever let me see 84 i've been meaning to read that book i've been meaning to read it too i'm somewhat familiar with the content i haven't read it though 1994 
How are you going to edit a book, though? That, this is what I mean. Keep certain things untouched. Just leave it what it is. I'll give you an example of a very popular book that's heavily edited for the worse, okay? H- have you heard of this book called How to Win Friends and Influence People? Mm-hmm. So this book's original edition has a lot of stuff which is politically incorrect now. For example, it has a lot of stuff. For ex- How do you deal with your wife who is nagging you? Or how do you deal with women in general? And a lot of these examples in the book, in the stories, these examples are men dealing with men because the book was about, it was meant for businessmen. But after the guy died, after Dale Carnegie died, his wife and his daughter, who are feminists, they decided to heavily edit the book. So what they did was they removed every single section that talks about dealing with women, okay? So they removed like one-sixth, one-fifth of the book, like completely gone. Then they edited the book to add female characters wherever they wanted. They made every single quote gender neutral, like he said this would become they said this, etc. And even quotes that other people are saying, for example, if they're quoting Rockefeller or whatever, they will change the language to make it politically correct. And they reduce a lot of the whole older style, politically incorrect examples. For example, it had stuff like uh, the average Hindu, if your shadow, if like a foreigner's shadow fell on his food, he wouldn't eat it because it, it's considered impure and things like that. So all of that is like completely removed now. And a bunch of content is just excised for no reason except to suit a feminist agenda. So if you're going to read, say, this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Read the unrevised edition because the revised edition is garbage. It's The revised edition will make you think that you talk to women and men the exact same way. And that's dumb as fuck because women will think you're a pussy and men will think you're... Sub- like, it, it'll work on men fine, okay? If you do the how to win friends and influence people thing on men, it'll work fine. But you try to do the same thing on women, they will think you're a pussy because all the time you'll be saying, I think, I, I, I wish, etc instead of being assertive <laughs> so women are going to interpret that as this guy has like no balls or no spine so women and men you communicate with them differently and that is what the original book conveyed but these feminists they just edited the book and all the editions that you buy in the market now are the revised edition so you don't really get it like you don't you, you don't have the original material of the author you have like a a heavily censored and modified politically correct and factually incorrect version of the book if you buy it from the market if you want to read the original version go to socialskillswisdom.com and that website can exist because the copyright of the unrevised edition expired here in india so we have it hosted on an indian server here and you own the site yes it's a public mm-hmm. service, really. See, I, I think, like, actually, number one, a lot of people don't know that the book ever got edited. I think this is my first time hearing about it. I know you brought this up in another episode that we had. So from you is the first time I'm actually hearing that it got edited. But when people edit something, now when they hear about it, they're much more curious to hear what the unedited version was like. That's just in human nature. So when you're trying to kill something, it just makes it reappear even more. 
not really i'll tell you i'll tell you what what happens okay for people who hear about it being edited sure but once you edit the book all the printed editions the newer editions are all revised editions right and someone it's not like when when you're recommending mm-hmm. a book you say read this edition of the book you say read this book and the guy for example he's at a library or a bookshop or on amazon he just searches the book's name and he buys it he doesn't re- realize that there's a difference between the edited and unedited and unedited version just like how you never knew there's a difference between the edited version of how to win friends and influence people and the unedited version of how to influence win friends and influence people right but now since i know i'm like yo man i got to check out this website real quick yeah but don't you think don't you wouldn't you don't you wish that you had read the original version before hand instead of you having to do it twice now no absolutely and and that's what i'm pretty much saying if i knew that there was an original version look let's say we're turning back the time and you give me two copies do you want the edited version or the unedited version i'm going to go with the unedited version the site that you own because i want to see what it was really like before it got filtered so i think we're actually saying the same thing but we're saying it in different ways maybe all i'm saying is that for most people it's not viable for them to check whether the unedited unedited one is worth reading or not because a lot of the times when a book is edited it's for the better a lot of the times like the fixed typos the ad content etc it's only in some instances where they fuck it up like this so it's difficult for people to know which books to read edited versus which books to read unedited and for most people they just buy it from amazon they don't care they don't know have you ever read uh, the boron letters by gary halbert i've heard a lot about it i intend to read it it's it's a copywriter's bible right right so it's basically gary halbert he's writing to his son from prison and he's basically condensing a lot of the lessons from copywriting he's learned in these letters But as you're reading it, you'll notice you know you're obviously learning a lot about copywriting. Mm-hmm. Every now and then Gary's doing some racist jokes as well. And I'm thinking, "Whoa, like they actually left this stuff in?" Because I would think that you know, once he died and they published the Boron letters, that they would remove the racist stuff. And his son actually brings it up. He's like, "We decided to just keep the racist stuff in there because we knew that our dad was uh, joking and this was just his kind of humor and we felt that it's best if it was unedited despite this part of the racist stuff is going to ruin a lot of uh perceptions of him uh, for a certain group of people i mean despite that people still read the boron letters but that's a book that's like completely unedited despite a lot of the flaws of the copywriter can you give me an example of the racist stuff now i'm just curious <laughs> Man, I mean there was one part where he was just like saying like man, I forgot the exact detail but I think he was calling black people cheap. I think he uses the n word a few times. But don't quote me on that. I read oh, this a while back. Oh, you can't call black people cheap. That's us Indians. We're cheap. You can't <laughs> take that from us. <laughs> <laughs> That's our stereotype. <laughs> exactly. That's ours. Well, <laughs> to be fair, what you guys call cheap, we just call being smart. I don't know if it was called cheap. I don't know if he said cheap, but I know he 
use the N word a few times or some derogatory remark, or you don't just call people that. Yeah, nowadays you can't do that. Like even here in India, you can't. Like you can, but no one. It's it's. It depends on which crowd you're in. I do think that a lot of these older books tend to pull more punches and care just less. For example, I was reading reading a book. It's called Titan. It's the biography of Ron Chernow. And you will often find, say, Rockefeller saying things like, I just won a negotiation with a Jew. Like he's proud of the fact that he was able to negotiate with a Jew, which isn't like a like it's it's a compliment to the Jews in my opinion because he thinks their negotiation skills are very good. But nowadays, someone publishing this type of stuff will think twice because of how woke everyone is and how you know easy it is to get cancelled. Well, well, some of the stereotypes, like you just said you know, has that good stuff. I was like, I want to be known for that. If I'm known to be resourceful, I'd like that. Where, on the other hand, um, have you ever heard the stereotype that white people have no rhythm? I have not. Uh, Wait, so is, is that true? I don't know if it's true, but the general uh, stereotype is like, oh man, you're a white boy, you can't dance. And it's a joke. But see, that's not a positive um uh, a positive stereotype. Wait, rhythm is about singing or dancing? Dancing. Okay, I see. Where if you call, like, say, uh, you're, you're so good with money, you're like a Jew, even though that doesn't sound nice, that's like... It's a compliment. It's a compliment in some ways. Same with, say, Asian people. Where with Asian people, they're known to be, like, really smart. Define Asian people. I'm talking about, like, Chinese, Japanese. Yeah, I see... That's, I, not South Asian. I don't get why Americans do this. Like, what's the point? Like, Asia means Asia, right? So why are Chinese Asians and Indians not Asians? Like, we're also in Asia. So what what kind of stupid-ass <laughs> distinction is that? Like, I get the word Oriental, okay? That's, like, how I would think of, you know, American version of, you know, Asian. Because that's, like, what people think of as Chinese, Philippines, South Northeast Indians and Southeast Asians, it's SEA countries, etc. But when you say Asians, that includes us Indians, it includes Middle Easterners and everyone in Asia. It even includes Russians. So to to be so politically correct that you're geographically wrong. <laughs> it's it's so weird. It's so weird. I don't know why they do it, but you know, they're retarded. Do you guys have that thing where you guys have to like pick your like the bubble of your ethnicity on like those forms? No. Okay, so uh, like normally, like let's say you're going to the hospital here or you're filling out any kind of forms, driver's license, etc. They'll ask you your ethnicity. Why? So they'll say, yeah. So let me just see what you could exactly type in Google to see it. Um, one second. But why is it relevant for a hospital? So the, so they'll ask like, are you white? Are you black? Are you American Indian or Alaska Native or are you Asian? What's American or, Indian? Uh, that are, well, that's like if you're like Navajo, like one of those Cherokee Indians, I believe. And oh, then they they call them Indians, aren't they like Native Americans? Native Americans, yeah. So in that bubble, it writes American Indian or Alaska Native, something like that. 
And then in the end, there's a thing called other Asian. And so that's like the section. So I recall whenever I used to fill out other Asian, I used to have my classmates. They're like, you're Asian? I was like, yeah, I'm Asian. And if you like look even closer, it has examples. So they'll put Laotian, Thai, Pakistani, Cambodian. And they're like, you're not Asian. Your eyes don't look like that. I was like, I was like, no, man, Bangladesh is in Asia, Asia. as well. And they were like, wait, what? No way. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, normally here. We'll say like we're South Asian rather than just Asian. That's weird because, for example, if someone is from Mexico, do they say that uh, do the Mexicans not think they're Americans? They are, right? They are in North America. So it's not like just the USA is America, like. North America is America, South America is America. So someone from Brazil is American, as far as I'm concerned. So they'll say South America for Brazil. Oh, they would? Okay. Mm-hmm. I believe. Hold on. Yeah, they, I, I think they say just South America. Because there's North America and South America. Yeah, but it's not just the USA. So I think that these guys just need to go back to school and learn a bit of geography. Because if they think Asia is just China, then they're idiots. Like Asia includes Russia, it includes India, it includes the Middle East, it includes China, Japan, Southeast Asia, and all of these other countries. So it's not just China and people with small eyes or Orientals or whatever. It includes everyone from Asia. That's what the term Asia Asian means. Now, if you just want to identify people with smaller eyes and you have to find a new term because Asian is taken. Mm-hmm. It is, you, they're so woke that they, they don't understand simple things like this. Yeah, and, and the thing with this part, Harsh, is that this isn't even for like the woke people. This is just for a lot of people in general. Because the thing with the US is that it's such a melting pot where sometimes... With it being such a melting pot, the language just evolves as a whole as well. Where a place like India, it's like, what, like 95% Indians and like, do you often see like white people, black people there or Spanish people? I have never seen a black person except once at an airport who was drunk. Oh, Oh, in Uh, person? Yeah. And white people you will see occasionally in the sense that they're just tourists. So they're pretty cool. And Spanish people, I don't think I've ever seen at even once in person. Yeah, and, and see, that's where it, the confusion sometimes gets added in. Because if you come to the US, like you're not going to just see one group of people predominantly. You're going to see a bunch of different people. And it would be awesome if they knew uh, and they were well-versed on the geographic locations, but the traditional person doesn't know it like we do, or just like people who are from overseas know it. They're pretty much from U.S. their entire life, and in their mind bubble, Asia just gets seen as like the Chinese, Japanese, where you have to specify for them, oh, no, 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 not that Asia. I'm from South Asia. And then there's like this mental click. It's like, oh, now I get it. It's just they process the world way differently. And it's not even just for woke people either. It's just like people that you'll consider hardcore conservatives. You kind of sometimes have to make that distinction as well, just because that's what they grew up with. 
I see. I have to ask, why do they care about this stuff at hospitals? Like, do they not treat you if you're, like, say, a certain race? Like, if you're Indian, we're not going to treat you? Or what is this? They, no, they, they charge more or something? No, they don't charge more. It's just for documentation purposes. I mean, this is something that, now that you bring it up, I can't even articulate why they do it because it's such a norm for me. Like, when I first came to, like, elementary school, we've been doing this, where, like, if you go to a traditional American and you show them, like, a typical form that they fill out, their ethnicity, like those bubbles, are pretty much just autopilot. What? So it's, yes, it's just for documentation purposes. It's not like racist or anything like that. That's weird. I don't think I've ever filled any form that asked me what ethnicity I'm in. Like ever. Well, I, think, I, I think that's mainly because you guys live in India and like it's pretty much like 95% one group of people. That's not Where true. In the US, India has a lot of different types of people. It just, you guys just call them all Indian. No, but what I'm saying is, okay, um, they all like have the same, what, like skin tone, right? No. Like, not not all of them, but like, would you, you, like you just said, like, there's not too many like black people there, Spanish, I black white, people, right? I mean, Africans, but you will find people just as dark in India. Like not as dark, but like almost. What I'm saying is, is it a melting pot though? What do you mean by melting pot? Because they, I'll tell you what, okay? So we won't have like a lot of these foreign races like Ch- Chinese people or Americans or white people, but India itself is very diverse and many places in India have a lot of people from lots of different states who speak different languages, have completely different cultures, etc. But we've never... It's, it's just wrong to discriminate just because someone is from a different state or looks a different way. And it's just weird, in my opinion at least, maybe it's just our culture here, but why would a hospital need to know which ethnicity you are unless you're doing something like a bone marrow transplant? It makes no sense. So it's just separating people for no reason. Well, I don't, I don't like, see, that's where I think we defer. We're like, the place that they ask you that is like the same place they'll ask you like, how old are you? Or when were you born? So, I think that's where the disconnect is happening, Harsh. Where, like, I mean, personally, if you were to ask me, like, why do they include that? I don't know. Like, I think it may be for, like, something documentation related. But what I'm trying to say in terms of, like, US being a melting pot is that if you go down my neighborhood right now, mm-hmm. you'll probably see, like, one house with, like, straight Indians, another house with straight Russians, another house with, like, African Americans another house with like you know people from japan where when you have that much of a melting pot and i think you know with the u.s at times it does become a punching bag where people are like oh man like you guys um you guys do this in a certain way you guys do that in a certain way that's not right but when you have this many different diversity in the u.s it's a miracle in some ways where we are capable of constantly bringing in new people and, you know, still having opportunities for them where there are certain different protocols that occur. And I mean, personally, I don't know about the whole ethnicity thing, but I think there has to be a reason as to why that's added in. I can't think of any reason, to be honest with you. And I, w- I will say that what you're saying, that the U.S. is a melting pot, is because you live in the U.S. that you're thinking that way. If you go to, say, other diverse countries, even in India here, 
it's the same way you move down the street you will meet lots of people from lots of different states who have completely different cultures and when i say completely different i mean completely different they speak different languages eat different types of food have different customs different ways of living so you don't have to be from a different country to have to be diverse like you can just be from a different state in india and it's completely different so india is a melting pot in many ways it just i can't think of any legitimate reason why you would need to fill out forms with your ethnicity like the only time i can think of that being relevant is say if you are undergoing a medical procedure where that matters like i hear mm-hmm. that if you want like a bone marrow transplant it needs to be from the exact same ethnicity or something like that so that i can understand but it is it is a weird requirement to have you know like asking kids to like fill out your ethnicity like who cares their kids right uh, it was actually funny because um on my website armanitalks.com there was this um consultation form that i had and i believe like in my initial one like there's like a default one that it comes with i'm trying to see if i still have it so i don't have the ethnicity form nowadays but i remember i did and it was funny cuz like it's like a default part where it just comes preloaded in the uh, wordpress like the template generators mm-hmm. but i actually am googling it where i think i'm going to have to do some research but there are other questions as to like why people ask the ethnicity on those forms so now you got me curious as well i wonder if it's just your government trying to collect data of how many people there are of each type and see what type of ailments they have maybe like if you're black and let's say that black people get less fractures than white people then what could the reason be maybe black people are eating something different or whatever so maybe that could be like a data collection thing yeah and there's a lot of these like analysis that normally like comes up where they'll say like this particular group has this particular test score and this group doesn't and you know how it goes i mean there was this book that you recommended a while back that said that you could use numbers in order to paint certain narratives ah so, yes i'm going to have to do more research on this but this is one of the good reasons harsh where it helps that we're from two completely different backgrounds where something that you know i think to be a norm is something that's outlandish for you and sometimes the vice versa i'm sure happens as well where you're saying something that's like completely norm i'm like wait why does that happen so this is actually a good lesson into social skills as well as to why you want to have friends in different cultures different walks of life is because you have more of a paradigm of understanding it's actually pretty interesting what you mentioned because i've seen all these social media posts lately about say diversity is important and it's somewhat true where diversity of thought does have some advantages but the way people do it in real life is that they find a bunch of people who think exactly the same way but they look different do you know what i mean so if you want a true diversity then you also have to have people who think diversity is bullshit because otherwise you don't have diversity you just have a bunch of people who agree on the same thing so it it's actually super interesting because the way it's suppo- like there's theory and then there is 
practice and the practice part is just politics it's a way like i, I remember coming across this thing where amazon according to their some paper or something the reason amazon really cares about diversity is that according to an, a study done by them it's much less likely for a workers union to form if people are from different ethnicities they don't just get along much so that's why they push diversity that that's according to that particular study or article so the diversity thing is there so that people don't get along too much and they can't start forming labor unions in fact they have a really? score at amazon or something where the more diverse a crowd the less like how how safe is a particular unit from say becoming unionized so i think diversity is a positive where it makes it less likely let me check let me look for the article wait see i i could actually see a case for that because that's what i call primal communication and i i believe i, I told you the story like of me and my master's degree where there were like these different groups of people and we all just formed with our tribes did i ever tell you that no do tell me please yeah it's basically where there's you know there's the white kids there's the indian kids uh asian like japanese kids and i just recall just whenever our teacher would say form your groups we would just naturally gravitate towards our groups and let's say there were like no other like brown kids in the area why just yeah and this is something that what just kids? naturally uh brown kids what does that mean uh, uh desi desi oh in india um, okay. right we would just naturally form the entire foreign group so this is where it, it was just like something primal it's not something that we put much intellectual thought into it just happened hmm yeah i think that plays a role people tend to trust and like people who look like them it's just this is science i'm not making this up this is actual science where they've done studies where people will trust people who look like them and distrust people who look completely different it's just how humans are made by god by the way i shared an article in the chat we can put that in the description as well so this is the article that i mentioned that says amazon how amazon is trying to reduce unionization so it says leaked internal documents from amazon owned whole foods revealed that the company rates their stores using a diversity index and determined that the threat of unionization is higher at stores with lower diversity so they have this index on diversity and basically the more diverse their stores are the less likely for them to have like a unionization threat i think that's a big reason why they care so much about diversity it doesn't have anything to do with diversity of thought it just separates people enough so that they don't have to worry about unions which i don't truly have a problem with you know <laughs> but i think unions are a bunch of people who are just trying to work the least and get paid the most so it makes sense to try to stop unions because it just makes business less profitable and less efficient but it's super interesting the why they do it it's it's so interesting because the reason that is said and the reason it actually is is completely different mm see i don't think anyone would think i mean like i'm reading the article right now and 
is interesting. I'm, I'm actually just going to post it before I talk more about it. It's going to be the informationliberation.com one. If you guys are checking out the description box right now. So let me let me ask you a question again, because mm-hmm. this is kind of going back to what we were talking about. You mentioned that there's diversity in India, like in a good amount. A so, very good amount. In fact, it's yeah, one of the worst traits in a way, because it makes the country very difficult to govern. Well, and that's what I was going to say, where before we like talk about the diversity, let's just talk about like what we mean by diversity. Are you talking about like different sectors within India or like do you see like Russians and a university, for example. So let me tell you a bit about the history of India, okay? India historically had a lot of different kingdoms who evolved separately in a way, although we were all Hindus. So a lot of these different different kingdoms, they had their own customs, their own traditions, their own languages, their own ethnicity of people. They were like different people. And what happened with the British Raj is that they kind of conquered all of India. And then when they left, we had a, basically all of India under one rule. But people held on to their tradition, their languages, etc. So every state in India has a different language. And we India has 30 states. I don't know what the exact number. I think it's 29 or 30. Because I think they just increased one state or two states. Let me check how many states in India. Okay, it says 28, but I think it's 29 now because they made a new one. Okay, let's go with 29 and seven union territories. So India has 29 states and every single state has a different language. And it has different customs. It has different traditions. So you can think of them as like 29 separate European countries. That's really what it's like in many ways. Like you have France, you have Portuguese. For someone in China, it all looks like, say, one country because they have like very similar culture in a way, but they're also different in their own ways. So that's what Indian states are like. Like they're different, but they're also a part of the same group. So India is like a melting pot, but from the outside, it looks one. Got it. And, and from the internal, like the dialects, the customs are diverse yeah so we also have a bunch of identity politics and you know in-group conflicts etc and isn't it the same thing also with hinduism where there's a lot of different customs within hindu yeah hinduism itself is a very decentralized religion in a way because you go to like 10 different places you will find 10 different versions of hinduism with different rituals with different stories etc so it's it's like it's a it's the same religion but it depends it's on where you are located yeah, it, it depends on where you're located because some places say follow a particular text the other other places may follow a different text which is based on the same say mother load so for example if you take the raman it has there's different versions of the raman there's like the valmiki version there's different versions in south india etc so all of these versions have like different stories, although the basic structure is pretty much the same. So it's like different flavors of the same ice cream in a way. I, I do know somewhat about that where, you know, I had two buddies who both said that they were Hindus, but they practiced it in different ways where one was more devotional. He did the kirtans and all of that. 
while the other one did more meditation. And he, he they both identified as Hindus, but their practices were much different. The kirtans and everything is like an interesting thing, to be honest, because that's not actually, in my opinion, like not not really a part of Hinduism per se. Like it you is, do kirtans? No, I don't. It uh, is. How about you? How about we explain what it is for our non non Hindu listeners? It's like devotional singing, right? The concept is that singing about God is going to say put you on good terms with God. You know, like that's the simplest way I can put it. Like singing God's name and spreading like it to other people is like letting other people hear you say the God's name is going to be good for you. It's going to make God bless you or whatever. That's like the oversimplified version of it. But that's, in at least from my understanding of Hinduism, and I'm not an expert, that's not truly a part of Hinduism. It's just something that people started doing. We had something called a bhakti movement where we had a bunch of these musical dancers or whoever, and they would like start singing, etc. And their logic is that if they sing, God will give them something, which I think is stupid. In in my opinion, it's not just doesn't sound right. Like God would be a really terrible businessman if he just gave stuff to people who are singing. So that is my perception of it. And I've read the Ramayan, and in the Ramayan, I find no real instances of people singing and doing kirtans and things of this sort. And you don't really... It seems to be a relatively modern practice and not per se a part of Hindu text. But I'm not an expert on Hindu text, so I could very well be wrong here. So one of my buddies, he's white and he you know, he, he did the conversion process. I don't know if there's a conversion process or something, but he says uh, he identifies as Hindu now. And he was bringing up the whole kirtan and the bhajans and everything. And he did say what you were saying, where the more that you do it, the more that you become focused on God. But another thing that he mentioned that I found unique was he said that the sound vibration helps you think in a different way. Yeah, I think and all of like, that is bullshit. I think that's just bullshit. I don't I don't know, like maybe it's his opinion and I I have my opinion, but I think that's just that's just crazy. Like you know how people do like weird things in the name of religion? Like there are some people who will like starve themselves to death. Like you don't achieve anything, you just starved. Like anyone can do that. Like you just stop eating food. But I don't think that's actually crazy, man, because the thing with sound vibration is that it's something that does have an effect on the nervous system. So when this guy was bringing it up, it's not like he was, you know, sounding unhinged or anything. Uh, he's a pretty scientific kind of minded guy. So when he was bringing it up, he was trying to break down the logic as when you're with a group of people and you guys are singing and you guys are all focused on one thing, it helps you think in a certain way where once you're done with it, it's kind of like a hypnosis in some ways, the way he was describing it. It's the same energy as a concert goer. You're just in a group, you're doing the same activity activity together, so you feel the sense of belonging. I don't think it has anything to do with religion. I think it's just a thing a bunch of people like to do and they associate it with religion, but I don't, I, at least I'm not convinced that it has much to do with Hinduism. And from my own study of Hinduism, I've read the Ramayana and I've flipped through a bunch of other books and I have grown up in India. It does not seem to be a part of actual Hinduism. It seems to be something that people just started doing 
and they just do it because they like to do it or what for whatever other reasons they do it do you think it helps them enhance their devotion no i think they're just in my opinion they're wasting their time hmm It's like so it's ha- like that okay like you know how you have these buddhist monks and they will like sit and meditate all day and you know not eat much food and it's like fine like if you want to do that do that but just because you are not eating food does not mean that god is going to give you something that 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 that's where there's a disconnect you know like if you enjoy not eating food and meditating all your life on a mountain do that i don't care that's your life but If you're going to go around telling people that by not eating and by meditating on a mountain you're going to get closer to God that doesn't add up to me logically. I could be wrong, but it just sounds like bullshit. I think this is just a guy who likes being hungry. <laughs> and I, I I would also say that I kind of agree but I disagree in some ways where I wouldn't say that this guy is trying to say that that's the only way to do it where I believe that there's different paths for someone to reach a certain experience where for you uh you seem more like a logical guy. So when you're practicing, I'm sure you're reading more of the text and you're thinking a lot, right? You're logically breaking things down a lot to see if it resonates with you. Correct? Mm-hmm. Or do you practice in another way? I don't get your question. Uh, like I don't really know much about Hinduism, so I, let me know if this question is resonating with you but do you practice hinduism in a certain way like do you go to a temple or do you do a lot of meditation okay so How- practicing hinduism doesn't really have anything to do with going to a temple like it like going to a temple and practicing hinduism are completely different things like anyone can go to a temple and that doesn't really do anything you know what i mean so, like anyone can yeah. like you have a lot of these people who are like not exactly hindu like they just call themselves hindu but they don't know anything about hinduism but they will keep going to temples and they'll do all these pujas and they think they are being hindu but really they're just a bunch of people mimicking other people doing something but it doesn't have anything like they they aren't i would say practicing the religion because they they don't even know what the religion is about they don't even know the values of hinduism like you have these people who are like outright feminists okay and these guys will go to the temple and you know be like the religious but you cannot both be hindu and be a feminist that's like being that's like both being vegan and going and eating chicken like these are not coherent thoughts hinduism does not say women and men are equal at any point of time Hinduism always says men and women are different all the time. So if you are a feminist you can't be a Hindu. Just like if you are a vegan you can't eat chicken. It's like that. So a lot of these things are about Hinduism actually come from people who call themselves Hindu but they don't actually know anything about Hinduism whatsoever. Like they literally know nothing about Hinduism. And when when you say practice Hinduism I would say practicing the beliefs and you know the way of thinking and the dharma the duties etc that i would say is practicing hinduism i would not say going to a temple is a practicing hinduism guy and someone who doesn't go to a temple and doesn't say do pujas is not practicing hinduism so there's a difference there and regarding the whole you know kirtan and praying thing so if you look up bhakti movement okay 
this was something that started according to wikipedia like in the 15th century so about 6 700 years ago versus hinduism which is like 6 7 8 1000 years old so this is very very modern like 90% of the time like 90% in of hindus in history for 90% of the time of its existence they were not doing bhakti movement stuff they were not singing songs in the street so it's not in my opinion like something that you could justify from hindu texts it's just something that people started doing and they like doing it maybe that's their choice but i don't really think singing has much to do with being closer to god actually following the religion and its you know the ways of thinking and its its actual lessons for life i would say is hinduism but please go ahead and do you guys have like a central book or is there multiple different books there are multiple different books so the the oldest most important books are the vedas then we have the upanishads then we have the puranas then in the puranas we have one purana which is like the mahabharata and the mahabharata is very long and one small section of it is the bhagavad gita and a lot of people think the bhagavad gita is hinduism it's like a very very small section of a small portion of one part of the puranas which is the third generation of hinduism i would say like after the vedas and the upanishads then the puranas the puranas there are there are many many puranas but one purana is the mahabharat and in that is the bhagavad gita is a small it's like a small conversation between krishna and arjun and that is the bhagavad gita so a lot of people in the west think that bhagavad gita is the core hindu text like the bible but really it's not it's like it's a very very small portion of hinduism hinduism has a lot of books mhm um do you read the gita or do you read the ramana or ramayana more uh so they are not like a book you would like repeatedly read i i have read the ramayana and i have gone through most of the gita although when i read the gita i, I read it when i was much younger and i didn't really have enough life experience to understand all of it i will read the mahabharat at some point in the future so i think that will give me more context to understand the gita because the gita is really just a small conversation between krishna and arjun among a big story of the the mahabharat so just reading the gita without knowing the story of the mahabharat is it it can't give you the full picture but i'm kind of out of my league in this conversation because i'm not an expert in any of this i'm not an expert in hinduism or hindu texts these are just my own thoughts and observations with dealing with people and growing up in india and you know being from a hindu family in my if you ask me like a lot of the things that people do to call themselves hindu are just not rooted in hindu texts or hindu philosophy they're just something people like to do or they've heard and watched other people do and they're just mimicking it like singing and come on like it doesn't make any sense if you think about it it's just that it's what they've been taught as a kid by their parents so they're doing it so did you ever do any of that like at all like puja kirtans at all or 
uh, every once in a while you get forced by a family but it's just it's it's not something that i think is legitimate because if you study the history of the religion you will not find it there like uh, before a certain period of, period of time like before the 15th century the whole bhakti movement thing didn't exist it's something that came it's it's very recent so all of these these the religion changes over time i get it but it has to improve and not like become a thing where you just are wasting your time you know like for for example you take a lot of these olderish you know i don't i don't know much about buddhism but it has a lot of these practices where people will say spend most of their lives just meditating and not eating food like buddha was like i think he fasted for many days and a lot of religions have a lot of things which which don't make sense like how is not eating anything for 15 days helpful how is that helpful like tell me any reason and for example let's say buddhism for example buddha got enlightened right and then all of you have the 1 billion buddhists also following his teachings for thousands of years i presume how come no one else has gotten enlightened they've all they've all been starving themselves and you know singing the songs or whatever how come no one else got enlightened that's an interesting question because i can't be a buddhist until i see some success for it what if they have gotten enlightened and they just haven't talk about it there's no so there's like a billion followers of buddhism how come there's not a second guy who ever taught about it that doesn't add up you know mathematically like i get like some guys got enlightened and they didn't want to talk about it but you have a billion people trying so there has to be a bunch of other people who said yeah i got enlightened so where are those people so hypothetically let's say they did get enlightened what happens next they i don't teach know. about it right I don't know what I don't even know what they mean by the word enlightened. All I just keep hearing is that Buddha got enlightened. What does it mean? I mean, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about <laughs> this, but <laughs> I don't honestly man, I have I'm very curious about like the eastern way of thinking and understanding more about it, but I am not the kind of guy that like knows much about it where I I could give you like a thesis paper on it. I just understand like little dots of what I've heard about the you know the philosophy and the religion and i don't even know if hinduism and buddhism are religions are they aren't they more so like a way of life hinduism is a way of life but lately it's become more of a religion with the whole bhakti movement and singing songs and things like that you know it's it's become more religious and less of a way of life because the average hindu doesn't live the way of life of hinduism he treats it like a religion where it's a separate thing where he goes to the temple every once in a while and does a puja for his house or his car or whatever and it's just something that it's very superficial he doesn't really care about the religion he doesn't know anything about it whatsoever and so it's it's the modern version of it is definitely a religion not a way of life at all for buddhism i think that buddhist texts are severely lacking in a lot of say if you take say the bible or even the quran or hindu texts like the puranas you will find lots of stories that supposed to give you wisdom and you know 
teach you about life but buddhism seems in my opinion a little too prescriptive like we have this eightfold path you follow our system and then you become enlightened so it doesn't seem to be very philosophical it seems to be very prescriptive like you do xyz thing and you will get this like follow this path eightfold path and then you can expect to get this result which is really i i don't know what to call it because it i would not exactly call it a very philosophical way of thinking because it's not i mean it seems like it's more so like a practice to teach yourself how to be accepting of the change in the world from what i understand the concept is that in buddhism i'm not an expert on buddhism by the way either so but this is just what i know because i know a couple of buddhists the concept is that buddhism thinks that life is suffering and the only way to stop suffering is to desire less so their system of the eightfold path is a way to reduce your desire and i fundamentally disagree with that i don't think life is suffering i think life is amazing i like living i want to live longer one of the things i really care about is you could say things in medicine which help you live longer healthier and ideally stop aging so that you can live forever so that's something i really care about life extension and things like that and i disagree fundamentally with the premise that life is suffering i don't think it is i think i like it i like living i like waking up in the morning so i don't see how life is suffering i disagree with them fundamentally but i think the concept is that they believe life sucks and life is suffering and they're trying to reduce desire so that to make it better on the other hand i believe that if you have desire fulfill it you'll have more desire fulfill them too it'll be fun mhm yeah i mean if you ever you know find some good resources on buddhism send them my way because i mean i'm definitely out of my league on this one cuz i don't even know the right questions to ask so i mean I, yeah i don't know much about buddhism yeah i don't know that much about buddhism either and i'm not an expert in hinduism so what i what what i will tell you is this where i have seen a lot of successful people get practices from buddhism and bring it into a their line of work and one example is you heard of nike right yeah the shoe company yeah like the ceo or the founder phil knight in his book shoe dog he talks about the zen way of thinking and how you know you got to view life as this big network rather than thinking in linear ways too much right and wrong you need to unlock acceptance thinking and he talked about how this form of philosophy and i think he also did some practices helped him in his career as an entrepreneur and i actually heard another similar story with phil jackson who talked i mean in the nba national basketball association they call him the zen master and he was known to get a lot of these teachings from you know buddhist practices and bring it into the sports world and he's like the most winning coach in nba history he's either first or second so i have seen successful people in their fields talk highly of buddhism so i'm very curious about how the practice works i think a lot of the things that we have in buddhism like meditation are useful 
for people who practice it. Definitely. I just disagree with them philosophically. The same with the whole bhakti movement thing, okay? I think that singing in a group maybe does bring people together. I just don't think it brings you any closer to God. So it's it's the end result that I disagree with, not the benefits of the practice. You know what I mean? It, well, yeah, I kind of get it, but not really, because these kirtans, aren't they the song of God, just out of curiosity? Um, or they have a lot of teachings of God in it, right? Some of them, yes. So that, for example, if it's if it's a way to spread knowledge, I get it. I agree with that. But to think that you singing a song is going to make God like you more is stupid, in my but opinion. I don't know. I don't know if it's only about. I kind of get like you know if, if you're just saying it's like you know for them to like you. Like I don't know much about that. But the way that I was hearing about it, like when you sing in a group, it. I I know for a fact that like song has a certain role, uh, in our nervous system. You know, neuroscience and these sort of research are proving that uh, where sound plays some role in the subconscious mind. So I was thinking that there was like some science behind it as well, where I don't think it's completely unhinged from what I've heard at least. Maybe it has some benefit or some different benefit. For example, okay, Arman, if I eat protein, more protein, I will become stronger faster. Okay. So it has eating protein has benefits to me. But does eating protein, more protein, mean that God is going to like me more or give me extra blessings? No. But so, if you're doing it with the right intention... I no, mean, it's still like, even if I think, if, if I truly believe that me eating more protein is going to make God like me more, it's still stupid. And no, it's no, not, no, I, <laughs> no, no, that's not what I mean. So let me give you, an, uh, let me give you a pretty practical example. Uh, have you ever played any organized sports before? Yes. Or that's not your thing, right? I have played okay, well. Okay, so let's say like a lot of organized sports, let's just use um, American football for the time being. Uh, this is where you're tackling each other, kind of similar to rugby. One thing that they have is a thing called like a war cry right before like they're about to get like on on the field. And either one person will give like this very empowering speech and then they have this little anthem that every member has to like, you know, say with their full heart. And something about it, man, like when you're in there at that moment, it makes you feel differently. And that feeling translates to uh, giving more of an effort as you're playing the game. It's, it's a pretty common practice when, if you've played organized sports where it's that, it's that thing that extends beyond logic alone. It's called a war cry. It's called an anthem. And a lot of teams have it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, where, militaries do it all the time militaries do it so i was when i was hearing my buddy talking about like his bhakti practice like kirtan the way he was saying it i i saw some parallels i don't know i don't i don't so i i want to preface all of this by this is just my own experience and my my knowledge of what i know about hinduism i'm not an expert on any of this but from what i know the reason why people do all these pujas and kirtans is that they think that life has reincarnation. So, for example, if you, for any action you do, you get like sin or like some blessing. And if your sins outweigh your blessing, you get you are born again into the uh, on the planet. And if you are say someone who's very good and close to God, then you attain attain salvation. 
That is, you become free from the cycle of birth and death. The concept is that by doing all of these songs, you are helping yourself become free of the cycle of birth and death. In the sense that God is liking you more and he's going to free you of the whole cycle of being dying and being born again on the planet. Mm. So that is my understanding of why people do this. Not, not for the sake of unity. They do it because they think it's going to help them achieve this religious goal. Right, like remove some bad karma? Yeah, something like that. And that doesn't make sense to me because just because you're singing a song does not mean God is going to like you more. In fact, God will have to be real dumb to do that because anyone can sing a song. Anyone can do that. How is that doing any good in the world? It's not. It's something that just people started doing a couple hundred years ago and then their parents taught their children who taught their children. And you have a bunch of people who know nothing about Hinduism just singing songs and it is how it is. And would you say in India that's the most common practice? It or? is very, very common. Okay. Especially nowadays, you know, because nowadays people don't even know the stories of Hinduism. They, they don't even know the basic stories of what the, what the gods did, what they accomplished, etc. They're just singing songs, literally just singing songs. With the, with the And most of these guys can't even understand the song like they're just repeating the syllables one after the other they don't know the meaning of the song because the language is different so if you ask me it's just a giant waste of time and your buddies uh, do they practice that or not really they all do it it's just one of those things that you know you wouldn't like tell anyone in person because they're just bad social skills but it is what it is you know Mm-hmm. It's literally the equivalent of someone who thinks that, say, being a better dancer and then dancing at a particular location is going to make God like them. It's 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 not it's it just isn't factual. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, see, that's that's the one thing with Hinduism and Buddhism. What I'm starting to see more is that there's, I can't even ask the right questions on it because I'm very new to the field and I'm using, you know, our interaction right now to learn more. And I know you're even, you know, in the beginning stages of your learning process. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious about, you know, learning more about this field. How is it like in Islam? Well, with Islam, I mean, there's certain practices that, you know, are there and it's mainly about repetition and understanding the narratives as well and you know understanding the truths uh, from your perspective uh, growing up uh, we have a central place of you know the mosque with quran and you know that's that is the it's not as, or medina or something it's not as decentralized as hinduism in what way so it's like muhammad wrote a book the Quran and that is no, no, Muhammad the, didn't write Muhammad didn't write it. It was a revelation, and that's what the Quran is. And what I mean by that, it's not as decentralized. Is that you know traditionally, like if you're going to different Muslims and you're saying like you know what's the practice like, what do you do? Uh, there's a general understanding of like this is how it's done for Muslim. While you know if you go to 
like Hinduism, where you said that there's like more decentralization. I know that there's like some paths like Gyan Yoga uh, and Bhakti Yoga, where like sometimes they could be much different. So that's what I mean by decentralization. There's different ways of practice, where for Islam, it's traditionally similar methods of practice. Uh, but then again, let me just preface all this by saying that um, I'm still learning more myself. I wouldn't say that you know I'm like this guy that knows everything regarding the religion. I'm still in the process of learning more in this age of my life. Hmm. I think Islam has the whole bhakti movement type stuff, right? You have a song that is sung five times a day. I think it's called it's not, Nazam. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's more so like a surah that like lets people know that it's the time for praying. One thing that, you know, I'm, I'm just doing a quick little transition where personally for me, you know, like I've predominantly been raised with logic, with science, technology, mathematics, etc. A, a big part of my life and a lot of people in my field don't take religion or, you know, the role of it in terms of culture seriously, where I've always been different in that way, where I've always found it pretty fascinating how, you know, no matter which part of the world there is, uh, some sort of belief systems emerge. Um, do you know what I'm talking about before I go further? Not particularly. Where I believe like, you know, a lot of my counterparts in uh, undergrad or, you know, in my career, they loved logic a lot. Oh, and I they loved... discarded religion. I see, I see. They discarded religion. They're like, oh, no, no, that's just uh, superstition. It's just phony. It plays no role. And I'm like, I don't really know if it doesn't play a role at all because I believe that we live in this large complex system. And if something doesn't play a role at all, then it naturally becomes discarded over time. While something like religion or some form of philosophy is needed for the mind, where even if you don't believe in something, that's something where I don't really know if the mind is programmed not to believe in anything at all. Yeah, I or, think that... At least be in seeking mode. I believe curiosity is built into the mind. People who don't have a religion they follow typically find something that is like a religion to follow. Like you have radical feminists, and then you have the whole SJW wokeness thing, which are religions in their own right. Like you have, they're literally religions, right? They have their own theories on why things happen. They don't like anyone who's from outside the religion. And they're super militant about it. So it's a religion. In fact, it is literally a religion because in many universities in the US, I hear like if you are, say, like the taboo part of the religion, like if you're a white male, then you are treated unfairly. So I think everyone has a religion. It's just that some people's religion is modern culture hmm. i've actually never heard it pronounced like that before where you're saying that even if you identify with a certain movement and you identify with it a lot that becomes your religion people have a need to believe in something or the other because we are in a time of the world where the basic needs of our life have been taken care of I will never starve to death, starve to death. You will never starve to death. We 
live super comfortable lives in many ways. We have good beds to sleep on, air conditioners, etc. So life is good. We have no problems in our lives, I would say. Real problems like, you know, disease, starvation, etc. So people, when they have all of these basic needs taken care of, their mind still wants some to be a part of some big movement or some big problem to solve which is why you see the most idle people typically becoming a part of these revolutions so as a general rule the more frustrated someone is with their lives the more likely it is they're going to join a mass movement and nowadays it's the whole leftism thing where it's just a bunch of people who are following their religion except their religion is not good for the world like older religions like hinduism christianity islam for whatever civilizations they were in when they were not in conflict with other civilizations were helping the civilization run better right they were providing law and order etc but these modern religions they are not based on sound philosophy they're not based on sound grounded in reality ways of thinking they're based on like faulty ideas but they are religions nonetheless which is why they are being enforced hmm thinking about what you said like why And would what... someone say think it's okay to give a small child hormones to not to prevent them from getting um you know puberty so that is a religious thing like it's it's they believe in that religion like there is no logical reason for doing it it's just religion which is why you can't argue with them because you can never argue against someone's religion it doesn't work yeah there's a few things you uh, you might as well just let someone think on their own because the more that you try to argue about it the more like they're they put their heels further into the ground I actually released a youtube video recently about how to stop arguing and it wasn't just one of those things like yeah man stop arguing respect your time it was actually a logical breakdown of why it's a waste of your time and the reason why it's a waste of your time to argue with someone is because when someone forms an opinion they're not really forming that opinion right in front of you even though that's something that our senses think but let's say you you say something that i vehemently disagree with in this podcast episode mm -hmm. it's natural of me to be like harsh formed this opinion right now but in reality ideas and opinions are cumulative in nature where most people form their opinions with their past experiences leading the way and they're thinking oh no no i'm i'm creating the opinion right now while that's rarely the case your past predominantly creates an opinion so whenever you're over here trying to argue with someone what you're really trying to do is trying to use a raw intellect to try to rewire their perception of their past and will it work sometimes maybe but for the most part it's not going to work instead it's actually going to make the other person resent you more so i mean personally for me most arguments i think are a waste of time unless it's going to be just like a civil debate but other than that you know it's a waste of time but i i did preface the video by saying that you know it's kind of noble to say i never want to argue again but in the real world that's not realistic you may just get pulled into an argument out of the blue moon 
when I say try to avoid arguments, I mean it more so like following the speed limit. Uh, you drive, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's say the speed limit is like 70 miles per hour. When I say harsh, follow the speed limit, I'm not necessarily telling you always drive exactly at 50 miles per hour. I mean more so follow a range. Like you could go down to 45 if need be. You could go up to 55 if need be. But don't try to escape that range. It's the same thing with arguments. The general range, try to avoid it. Have you heard of the Socratic method? It's it's like the questioning method, right? Yes, that works. Mm-hmm. I think arguing directly doesn't work, like you said, where you know where you just tell someone they're wrong and then you give them your opinion, because that just creates an ego clash. I think if you truly want to change someone's mind, you have to learn to be way more persuasive because. People form their opinions unconsciously and then they associate a lot of emotions with that opinion. For example, if you take, say, if you take a, someone who's like a devout religious follower and you tell them God is not real, they're going to say God is real and you're an idiot. And you guys are not going to get anywhere. You, you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. But... Let, let's role play this for example can you be the guy who believes god is real and i'll be the guy who believes god is not real okay okay so we we could say for example i would say so why do you think god is real or like what it's it's uh, or i could start with say i find it very interesting that you believe god is real i would like to know more like why do you think it is why do you think that to be the case and do you want me to play like the role of like yeah. someone who's like arguing with you or like do you want me to actually make a logical case for it? No, so this is we we never get to the point of an argument. For example, if I want to convince you God is not real, I will not start a fight with you. This is how I would do it. I would like ask you why you think God is real. Oh, okay, okay. And do you want me to give a response or just Sure, give me a response. On? We can we can try um, that. Oh yeah, just because of um, you know, for every created there's a creator. I see what you mean. So what you're trying to say is that we were created by someone else and that's and everything in the world that exists was created for some reason by some force, which is why you think that the world itself was created by an external entity. You know, actually, you know what I see you're doing? And I think it's actually deeper than the Socratic method. You're doing a thing that, you know, I see in debate, uh, political debate class, what they do is they make you paraphrase the other person. Bef- like, not just ask the question, but paraphrase the other person. So they're like, mm-hmm. And that's when a lot of arguments and debates are often killed. Because they're like, oh, wait a minute. Then we actually agree. Or th- now it's like, if we do still disagree, we're on the same page. Yeah, I'm getting you in the yes mode from the no mode. You know what I mean? For I example, you're initially you're in the no mode. You're like, no, we disagree. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting you in the yes mode. Like, yeah, yeah, we, we, I think we are thinking the same thing. Okay. And just for the sake of this, Harsh, I'm going to pl- role play a little. Like, I'm going to be a very defined guy. Okay. Just so, like, this doesn't sound like I'm over here actually debating you. Uh, you're wrong. Why do you think that? Why do you think I'm wrong? I, I would love to know. And learn more. Because uh, God exists for sure. 
I agree with you, but I I just want to understand why and learn more about it. Can you provide me with more information? And from there, Harsh, I, I definitely think I I do want to just take a break and just say that I think you're doing a good job in keeping a gentle tonality as well, where. And this is a little side tangent where I think one thing that logical people often have a problem with is understanding that tone plays a big role in communication. And I think you're doing a good job in just like de-escalating the situation through like a gentle tonality. It took me a very, very long time to learn this. Like the earlier, tonality part? All of it, like the tonality part, the whole getting in the yes mode part and how to actually communicate and change people's minds, people's minds and how they think. Because earlier in my life, when I was younger, like when I was 20 years old, I was way more in your face type. Like, you're wrong. I'm right. Fuck you. You're an idiot. <laughs> so it took me a long time and a lot of life experience and experience with humans to understand how to deal with them. And even now, I think I'm still learning. There's a long way to go. Right. And I, I think every now and then, like, 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 do you still lose your temper, like, in person or kind of reduce that? I don't typically lose my temper, I would say. I, I do sometimes get more impatient because I just, for example, you know, if you're explaining one of your employees something and they're not getting it, even though it's very simple. Sometimes, yeah, everyone gets a bit annoyed. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm telling this to you thrice. So, but to lose my temper? No. Did you ever have a certain period where you used to get angry fast? Yeah, when I was going through puberty, I would get angry really fast. What about you? Did you have a similar period? What is? Are you someone who gets angry? Because it doesn't seem that way at all. No, nowadays I'm actually seen as pretty calm. But I would say in undergrad and even earlier than that, I still should be known to have a pretty bad temper. And when was the last time you kind of got really angry at someone? Last time I got angry, man, I got so freaking pissed off at a guy that designs my book covers. He basically gave me his word that he was going to do four of my book covers and then head out. He did two. And then he just disappears for like two months. And I really wanted to yell at this guy, but he's like so good at what he does where I didn't want to do it. But it allowed me to understand how people could get angry. But I, did, I didn't answer your question. The last time I actually got angry at someone and yelled at them, are you asking that kind of anger? Yes. Oh, dude, my internet, when I first came to this particular location, went out. And I run a large part of my business through my internet. So I call like the internet company and it's this one chick with like the worst attitude out there. And she's like, you're not going to get internet back for another four days. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, four days, you better, you better find something. And the thing is, I actually had an issue like this happened two weeks before where I could say, okay, this is an emergency. Send one of your repair agents. And they're supposed to say yes if it's an emergency and, you know, your business is based on the Internet. But this lady didn't have a clue. She's like, oh, no, no, sir, I can't do that. 
I'm like, no, you can. You did this a couple of weeks back. <laughs> and she's over here showing an attitude. I'm showing an attitude back. And eventually, like, I actually had to, like, raise my tone at her. And she's like, all right, sir, calm down. I was like, yo, give me your manager. So now she calls her manager. And you could tell she kind of debriefed him of me. So he already knows that I'm in an angry mood at the moment. So he comes and he's pretty hostile back. And he's just saying, no, no, sir, I can't do it. And we're basically going back and forth. A lot of angers, like a spark, are flying through the roof. And the thing is, luckily for me, I have an IT background. So as we're talking more and more, I know exactly what's wrong with the issue. And I'm like, no, no, you just got to restart like the packet server on your side. Now his pride is involved because if he does that, then it's going to be like, oh man, this customer was right. No, no, I can't do that. So he's yelling at me back. We're arguing at this point, And I tell him, if he doesn't do what I'm telling him to do, then I'm going to leave a poor review. As soon as I said that, he does the packet uh, restart. The internet is fixed. He looks like a dummy. And that's about it. But this was, I would say, two years ago. I wrote this on an email. So if you guys like little stories like this, check out the Armani Talks newsletter um, on ArmaniTalks.com. And, you know, I end the email by saying, would I do anything different? I think in a politically correct world, I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have gotten mad like that. But I guarantee you, if I didn't get mad like that, it would have wasted four days of my time. And, you know, I, I... to this day, believe in a concept called like strategic anger, where when your time is on the line, you can't be like super nice all the time. If being angry gets something done, then it's worth it. So you're right about the strategic anger. Although I'll tell you something interesting. I have three separate internet internet connections from three different companies into my house. Oh, wow. How much does that cost you? Who cares? I run three businesses from my house. I have. I need to have internet. So who cares how much it costs? It's just a cost of doing business. Is this something you did because of just to be safe? Or is it just um, you dealt with a similar issue like me? No, what happens now, every once in a while is that your internet, internet will just go down for like six hours in the middle of a workday. And then you're just stuck because... You know, if you don't have internet, you might as well just not have a computer. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? So you need the internet for sure. So without the internet, your business is like, you're not working basically. So you need two connections. And then it happened to me once that both the connections went down at the same time. So I bought a third connection. Hmm. Okay. Now, if all three go down, I'm not buying a fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> the internet companies love you. Um, in the Tampa region, like there's mainly like two big providers, and in certain sectors, only one predominant company provides the internet. So after like that whole ordeal was done, the guy apologizes, and you know I'm just like it's all good. And you know I check on Google just to see their ratings. They got like a 1.2 at this point. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you guys don't understand how crucial customer service is. Uh, but it's a monopoly, you know. If there's only one provider, then they don't have to provide any any service. Like, what are you gonna do? Switch? That's true. I'll give you that. That's that's very much true. Where you guys have Chipotle, Taco Bell, and everything, right? 
actually that's interesting that, that you mentioned it a lot of the competition that you see in the market nowadays is actually fake like have you heard of this company called endurance international group eig eig i've heard of eig but not like what you just mentioned i, I mean i never knew what it meant so this is a company that owns almost all of the popular web hosting websites like they own hundreds of web hosting companies okay so they own bluehost hostgator and a bunch of them let me let me pull up the list of wait web hosting providers owned by eig so what they do is that they buy any web hosting provider that's growing well and then they just own it so what happens to people is that they get mad at one company okay let's say they bought like bluehost and they got really mad at bluehost and now they're switching and they switch to hostgator they think they're switching companies but really it's the same company just a different brand oh i didn't know about that and they own like dozens of the po- most popular ones like all the most popular ones are owned by them the, the cheapest ones so if you there's actually a list for example if you go on wikipedia and search for endurance international so all the ones that you might know of like big rock and blue domino or whatever else there's hundreds and they own them all and they have like a centralized system i think to manage it so i i think the customer service and all of it is probably centralized by this one company with all these different brands so depending on what number you call the customer service guy will probably say i work from this company but really it's probably one guy pretending to be working at all of these companies <laughs> probably so a lot of the times competition is fake so i don't know about chipotle and all of these but if i no, had so, to so, guess chipotle is a chipotle is a restaurant uh, have you heard of them or like you've heard of subway taco bell ah, those ones i thought it was like a web hosting provider like this website guy No no so Chipotle is a food place where it's really popular in US and I'm sure in some parts overseas uh, they never even run commercials yet it's always popping when you go there the thing is what is Chipotle exactly like what type of food so they sell uh like these burrito bowls which are amazing and if you just go on Google and just type in Chipotle burrito bowl you'll see some oh, I see Chipotle Mexican grill right And the thing is like the ones in Tampa nowadays a lot of them you know you go there like they don't throw out the trash on time it's dirty like the people are rude but the thing is you know Chipotle has such a strong brand presence that people will put up with the rudeness and they'll still go there it must be cheap so, like McDonald's it must be like very cheap as a food place if i had to guess so the food basically like they'll give you a lot for your money's worth so for I believe it's like 8:50 now. You get a big chipotle bowl and that'll fill you up for the most of the day. Overall like it's just a good food place where despite the bad customer service, you'll still check it out. Same with places like Taco Bell. So that's kind of kind of connecting to your point where if you own a monopoly, yeah, you could probably get away with poor customer service, but Imagine how much better it would be if they had good customer service. Or Chick-fil-A. Have you heard of Chick-fil-A? No. So this is an amazing spot um for burgers, like chicken burgers and everything. And their customer service is so freaking good that it actually feels like a TV show. Like you go there and they're treating you with so much respect. And that's one of the reasons people just 
are like diehard supporters of Chick-fil-A. Not only is the food good, but the customer service is impeccable. Customer service really does play an important role. In fact, it helps you retain customers, etc. The only thing is that, like you mentioned, why does a monopoly need to retain customers? The customer has nowhere else to go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's they have they don't have the incentive to actually have good customer service. And that's what wows me when they still do. Sometimes some businesses have very good managers who think in the long term because you might not have good customer service or you might not have competition today, but you might have competition tomorrow. Well, this is where, you know, I'm going to give some love to my Indians, Bengalis, the the Desi community. If you put a Desi in a fast food restaurant, they will change the culture immediately. Where I used to work in Dunkin' Donuts, Subway, and 7-Eleven. And these are places where, you know, people often just want to chill too much. But every single time I had a Desi manager, they would like place so much importance on customer support. They'll be like, oh man, like the customer's always right. And they took it literally. (laughs) There was this one time, like a customer threw a bunch of change at my manager, Ashish's face. And he's like, thank you. It will never happen again. I'm like, damn Ashish, you take customer support way too seriously. But I mean, it's a certain philosophy that I noticed that a lot of the immigrant workers would bring into the fast food industry. Interesting. That's something I have no experience in, but that that's really interesting what you mentioned. So what you're saying is that the locals are not so good with customer service or they're not so polite and the immigrants right. are. Is this like, right, like concentrated to Asians or is it like, say, even someone from, say, South America or North Europe or wherever will be from as well? So I don't have much experience with that, but I know for a fact, like from my experience, I've worked uh, in a lot of fast food, like in my undergrad days when I was like trying to get some money. And, you know, there's some stereotypes here where like if you're brown, you're probably going to work in Subway, Dunkin' Donuts or uh, 7-Eleven. And it just so happened I worked in all three. (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask why. Do do you pay well or like what's the situation? Nah, man. So I was, what, like 19 at the time? And this is before a lot of these e-commerce businesses were so accessible as it is now. Okay. So back then, if you uh, did something like 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts, that was like the norm in order to make money. Where nowadays, if a college kid's coming up to you, you'll probably be like, I know, start a Shopify page or an Amazon shop, something like that. Or back in the days, if you were asking for that kind of advice, they'll just say, uh, just get a job at Subway. But how is so, that good for the student? It's a, it's distracting him from his studies, no? Does it pay well enough to like actually pay for college? No, no. So it, it's just uh, some extra money that you get. And, you know, uh, they would pay every week. So it, it was a way for me to just get some extra pocket change. Ah, I see. Yeah, I didn't really do it for the money. It's just enough for me to, you know, pay for like the other stuff of being a college kid. So that's what I did. And each time that I would work, um, these guys, like you would hate working for them, right? Because they were so strict where they'd expect you to be there on time. They would overwork you where you wouldn't like to work for them, but you would love to be served by them. So 
it's like slavery. Pretty much. I mean, like technically, like looking back in hindsight, I could sue my uh, my subway manager. Who? <laughs> no, I should sue that motherfucker. He never <laughs> gave me gave me breaks, dude. Uh, he would just make me work the entire like six to seven hours. And this is like this was my first ever job before college. I would work in the summer in high school, and that's how like militant that they were. But since I worked in the food court. I would see how all the other restaurants ran. It didn't run like the subway because it's just the culture, man. Like these daisies, a lot of them, their life is that particular store. And then eventually they'll work their way up where one of my fraternity brothers, dad, he, he owns 50 somewhat Dunkin' Donuts and he knows everything about the operations because he worked his way from like, uh, serving people all the way up to managerial to now he owns it. So I respect the grind. I wouldn't want to work for them. But How does that work? How does someone who is serving and becomes a manager end up owning a Dunkin' Donuts? Because how much because can you even be paid as a manager? Oh, no, no, no. So what happens is once you're done, like you have managerial experience, you have a thing where you could turn in an application. Application costs, I think, like $35,000. It's no guarantee that you'll get your money back. So it's high risk. But the franchise will uh, consider you to you know, own a franchise of theirs if you can promise to run it well. So if a person already has like experience being on the ground, like being in the cashier, uh, making subs or donuts, and then they understand the managerial process, the finances then they're much more likely to own a franchise. Ah, so it's like, I would not call it owning a restaurant. I would say the guy is still working for Chipotle or whoever he's working for. He just doesn't know it. You know what I mean? He's like a regional manager in a way. But well, So you're, ta- you're talking about the manager. I'm talking about the guy who commands the manager. Yeah, but he doesn't actually own any equity in Chipotle. No, yeah, you're right about that. He's Where working get- for Chipotle. Yeah, it's kind of like an affiliate in some ways. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. It's like an affiliate. But it's not. I would not truly call it owning something, you know? Yeah, it's not owning Chipotle them. decides, like, we're shutting Chipotle down, we're taking down the brand, you have to, well, you're fucked. Right, right. The point that I was trying to make is that, you know, there are some people that are not just content with being the manager, where they're still working their way up. And, you know, some of them are becoming millionaires through the Dunkin' Donuts grind, which then they reinvest into real estate and they expand from there. So I don't know, man. I think that, sorry, go ahead. Well, it's not something that I would recommend for most people, but like, I think, you know, when I, we actually have this joke, like a lot of Patels, uh, like last name Patels own Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) And like, these kids are like rich. You know, like these kids are rich where like they drive like these luxury cars. I go to their house and it's like this mansion. I'm like, man, what does your dad do? And he's just like, oh, he owns a, a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, you can make money like that? And he's just like, yeah, I mean, I guess. Do people in the U.S. eat a lot of donuts? So th- when I worked in Dunkin' Donuts, no one would ever get the donuts. They just go there for the coffee or uh, the bagels. Mm, I've had a donut. Like I think three, four times in my life. It's it's not that good. It's too sweet. It's way too sweet. 
Or maybe I had it's it like, from the wrong place. It's like a jalepi. You ever had a jalepi? No. The way it tastes like to me is that it's like very sugary bread, then it was fried and then dipped in sugar. It's way too sweet. Like it's way too sweet for a sweet dish. Mm-hmm. You never had one of these, Harsh? I'm sending it to you right now. You might call it something else. I just sent you a link. I'm clicking it just a sec. Ah, oh, jalebi. Wait, let me see if it's... A... Yeah, I love this stuff. This is jalebi, but I don't have it much because it's fried. This is basically so you... sugar fried in oil. So you like this, but not donuts? Yeah, this tastes good, but it's I don't eat it, you know, because it's not healthy. But donuts were like, it was way too sweet. Like, it was so sweet. And it has this weird, it's, it's like bread with sugar, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's fried. So it's just, it's too sweet. I don't know how people eat it. Like, I, it's like, have you had, say, a pira, a pira? Let me send a picture. A, a what? A pira. Yeah, let me let me wait on the picture real quick. Let me send if you number. a link. Wait. So the so if you're having sweet dish, it should be pleasantly sweet, right? It should be sweet. Oh, I love these. Like it. Yeah. So this is like a good sweet dish, but donuts, at least the ones I had, were so insanely sweet that I felt like I was just eating sugar. Hmm. Do you recall what kind of donut? I think it was a chocolate donut. Okay, okay. So it was a donut with like a layer of chocolate on it. It's also weird that they try to like save money by making a hole in the middle, but you know, they do what they do. Yeah, and there's, uh, you should try the lemon filled donut where that's a little less sugary. Let me go. But I was sure. Yeah, I was shocked, harsh, because in Dunkin' Donuts, we often had to throw away a lot of the donuts at night. And I'm thinking, man, why are you guys making so much donuts? Like, I would think that we would readjust and do proper forecasting, but they would just make the same donuts, and people would mainly just come for the coffee. Ah, huh, probably to attract people. <laughs> I have to <laughs> ask, what is it actually like working at one of these places? Because my first impression. Or at least this is how it's thought of in India. Firstly, is that most of the educated community, I would say, like people who are above a certain social class, that is most middle class people, think of these jobs as shameful. You know, like they, these are like very blue collary jobs in India, and they don't pay at all. Like you made like you make like maybe one dollar an hour or something. So you can't even survive properly if you work these jobs in India, and. It's not it's not a respectable job in most sections of Indian society. It's literally like being a blue collar worker in, in for most sections of say above middle class middle class Indians. And mm-hmm. I also feel that having college kids work jobs like this is a waste of the college kids' time because they should be focusing on their professional education and studying instead of, say, making donuts, you know? Absolutely. So it's like a bad allocation of resources. Like you should have, say, people who are dumber 
make this stuff and smarter people can go to college but i think in the us college is like really really expensive and things of like it's way too expensive yeah it's expensive and then you know there's you know having extra pocket change is always good for a college kid that's one thing but my philosophy is very different i believe if you're in high school and college you know if people get into like ecom and that kind of stuff that's fine but working in a place like subway dunkin donuts like during that time i'm like eh whatever but just looking back at it it built character for me where you know you deal with so many different personalities and you learn the art of creating small talk you learn the art of working with your hands you learn the art of being more old school where you know at that time like after a shift i would see certain kids complaining about like small little stuff and i just couldn't empathize where i think it built my mental toughness in many ways where you know it, it built that character in terms of work ethic so for me i mean during my time there i think it's great for a college kid uh, but a few of my coworkers like that was their career where when i was working in dunkin donuts uh, there was a kid named atul who was like 3 years older than me and his mom and dad worked there and atul's dream was to always be an engineer like me So when he found out that you know I was studying in the College of Engineering he's like tell me everything you can about it and it was hilarious because I needed to learn from him cuz he was training me on how to be an employee at Dunkin Donuts and he would always go easy on me because you know I would teach him so much about electrical engineering and I'm like dude Atul why don't you go in the College of Engineering and he just like because you know then I have to leave my parents and like they can't survive this on this business without me. So if it's that sort of thing, I don't I'm not a big fan of it. But for a college kid that's still, you know, getting their feet wet, I think it helps you become tougher and less like a whiny brat that so many people nowadays kind of become. Where if you just have like your entire life just know like a digital business, you don't I'm not trying to take anything away from them but like when the going gets tough or like if someone's talking shit to you at your face like do you panic or are you just like yeah whatever it built thick skin ah, I, I can see I can see it doing that but what is it actually like working there is the food actually fresh or do, do they just claim it to be fresh and do they actually follow their own processes which they claim on their websites So Dunkin Donuts like I'll, I'll be honest like they blew me away. They they did everything the right way. Um where with Subway, I mean there was a lot of marketing with that. Where Subway subs uh they're not like that healthy or like a tuna sub is one of the is probably just as unhealthy as like a Big Mac from McDonald's. And I I would say that overall like they work how any business works. They have certain processes. They expect you to follow them. and uh, i think 711 and dunkin donuts were pretty congruent with what they said while subway isn't as healthy as it's marketed as why do you say subway's san- salad is what sandwich is as good as mcdonald's because it's not fried right right but if you look at the tuna sub for example uh I'll, there's like i think trans fat in it and there's a lot of mayonnaise in that so all the mayonnaise that you're getting from it I I did some I saw this one like article that said that it pretty much has same like nutrients 
as McDonald's or something like that. Um, other than that, you know, I've worked in a few different subways where, I mean, I expect it to run just like any business. I wouldn't say I saw like anything grimy or anything like that. Uh, I see. Because sometimes, you know, I've had like a subway and I felt like the vegetables were not fresh. So if sometimes it could just be that they're trying to save money by not say if they have vegetables left over from the previous day, they might just reuse it. I remember like these people would come like there was like this fat lady that one, once came like she was fat um, and she was just like, hey, hey, young man, I'm on a diet. I was like, oh, nice. Like, you know, and I just remember she was loading up that sub. She was like, you know, no, give me extra cheese. Give me more bacon. Uh, fill it up with more sauce. I'm like, lady, <laughs> people have I don't different think- definitions of diet. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like, just because it's on here doesn't mean it's healthy. You got to still get the right quantity. I think a lot of people do that where they want to feel like they're eating healthier, but they don't actually want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you one thing, Harsh, where when I work there, I actually, you know, I think people need to take their jobs more seriously, where I'm not a big fan of like, you know, you tipping waiters, waitresses, like high money if they don't do a good job. I recall when I worked there, like, you know, since, you know, I'm trying to, because it's Subway, like you could get tips. So instead of you getting, let's say you get paid six bucks an hour, but you did a really good job. Then with tips, like some people will give you like a $10 tip out of the blue moon. So, you know, you can make some money for like a high school kid. I recall I was working with like these two, Russian guys, Ashka and Dima. And for them, it was just like another paycheck. And they were so rude to the customers and stuff. And I'm just like, man, bro, I like y'all are making us all look bad. Because with humans, they're not like, oh, whoa, like Ashka and Dima were mean to me. In their mind, they're like, Subway was mean to me. Mm. And then they'll give us a less tip. It was like, dude, bullshit. <laughs> I think I, I don't believe in like, you know, you should all from my experience like you know people always say like oh no like you always judge someone based off how they treat the waiter or waitress from my experience most people are actually pretty polite to the waiter or waitress it's the waiter or waitress often that have an attitude and it brings out a negative attitude in the customer and then we're kind of like sympathizing with the waiter or waitress first where during that moment it kind of showed me like you got to be a professional man like if you're getting paid other people don't owe you understanding do your job to the best of your abilities. And, you know, like that's that one field where if you can operate with the attitude, uh, customers are always right. In the long run, you'll win. I agree with you there. Although I think I think I understand why a lot of people who are waiters, waitresses are a bit rude because they're essentially in a business or their work is not something that's inherently fulfilling in the sense that being a waiter might make you money to live but it's not like say you don't feel like your work has a lot of meaning right you're just bringing people food Mm -hmm. and for them from their perspective this is someone who makes a very small amounts of money and they have all these people coming in and eating say what this person will make in a day I'll spend in like an for one meal, you know? So 
they have like a perception where all of you are rich guys and this is an oppressed poor person well this is where like one of the points you were making earlier where you're like you don't think college kids should work this sort of field i think college kids and high school kids are the perfect to work this field because number one it's eventually going to teach you character and number two like these jobs aren't really meant to be careers so if you're trying to like work there and you're like oh i'm going to like retire here then yeah like you're going to have probably a poor attitude cuz your work isn't going to give you that meaning but if you're like that hungry college kid who's like yeah man i mean i'll have like an extra $100 per week and you know i could do that you know go on a couple of dates you know all that stuff now you'll work with some more enthusiasm but i i don't i do think that like if you're going to get paid for it do the best job that you possibly can i see what you mean i think that there are better ways to build character and i think that the costs in terms of time to reward ratio for a high school or a college student is really low because these guys need to not spend time doing dead end things like waitressing they need to be studying and building their knowledge so that they can um you know be more productive in the future and add more value to society and it's a shame that they're being made to make donuts and sandwiches so i th- i think these jobs are best done by robots because robots are consistent and oh yeah over time dude a lot of the stuff that i did it could be outsourced by robots mind you just for a little bit of context the year span that i'm speaking about is from 2008 to 2000 like 13 so you remember how uh one time you were saying like you know uh, internet age is like 1000 years yeah where like 2012 i mean i don't know it's actually it's over a decade ago things were very different then <laughs> where the whole idea of us talking about oh yeah, yeah you could do a lot of these donut things with robots would sound ridiculous but nowadays absolutely i agree with you a lot of it can be done by the robots i'm talking more so about the the talking part harsh where you'll be surprised we're not in these fast food restaurants you're not really working that much with your hands even though that's the first thing that'll like come to your mind what you're actually doing more is you're talking to people a lot where i think that face to face interaction and i think it's not only this though harsh i think anything that causes you to work by your hands you should do that at a certain age in your life so you become more battle tested where i'm kind of curious like you don't strike me as like a sensitive kind of guy uh, is there anything did you have any like outlandish experiences like i'm speaking about for my life in context of your life that allowed you to toughen up lifting weights that made you like more thick skin too yeah it just made me f- way more focused on self improvement I was never very sensitive so I was thick skinned somewhat by default like see after puberty at least I was I was never super sensitive and I never really cared what other people thought of me like I just didn't care and I think it just comes naturally to me and one experience that I can think of where it kind of helped me build character I would say is 
So do you remember when I said that my English was never very good and my family doesn't really speak much English and I'm the only person, like the first person in my family who went to an English school? Mm-hmm. So a lot of my education, I didn't really understand what was being taught in school, right? I was just zoning out because I couldn't understand what they were teaching. So what I would do is I would come home and I would study it all over again for my own understanding to actually understand. And one thing I observed was that you can start by knowing nothing, okay? For example, with math, like you can start by having zero knowledge of a particular chapter. And if you work hard enough and you solve all the problems, you can have a complete understanding just by putting in effort. So I would understand nothing in class. And then I would learn myself at home and I would top the class every single time in math because I loved math and I understood everything by doing. So that is something that really taught me the importance of working hard and the fact that I can learn whatever I want. And it's just simply the willingness to learn that is needed and that I think built character because even nowadays, for example, with my crypto course, you know how most people are, they just want to learn more about Bitcoin, but they, you know, they never do. On the other hand, I wanted to learn more about Bitcoin. So I made a course on Bitcoin. It's completely free. It's available on teachyourselfcrypto.com. And in the process of making that course, I learned everything there is to know. And currently we've expanded into DeFi and in five days, 31st of January, we will also have privacy coins such as Monero, Zcash, etc. Coin joints and those technologies covered. We've already covered DeFi, Ethereum, smart contracts and decentralized applications, etc. So it's about being willing to learn new things. That it's something I learned ever since I was a small kid. So I can't pinpoint one experience like you can with the whole fast food job. Yeah, for me, I mean, that's, I wouldn't say that's like the only one, but that's one that, you know, I, I can recall having a big impact when looking back. But during that time, I'm just like, man, I'm just trying to get some money so I could go on like some dates and stuff. But like looking back in hindsight, I recall like when I got my first internship, how whiny a lot of the engineers were. And a lot of these like so-called vets, like the people that have been in the company for the longest, were some of the most sensitive people. And I recall they would send me to a lot of these meetings with operations for a while because, you know, like operations, some of them were rude in their delivery where the senior engineers couldn't handle it. But for me, I mean, like it just kind of rolled off my back because I had experience dealing with like a lot of these uh, customers that were probably having a bad day and I didn't personalize it too much. So that was just, I recall just a moment that kind of taught me more about not being so sensitive. Like I really don't think that you could call me a certain word and it's going to like make me lose sleep. You know, I think sensitive is like a politically correct way of saying a pussy. A man is not supposed to be sensitive. <laughs> what kind of bullshit is that? Like, you can't take criticism criticism as a man. You're not sensitive. You're like a bitch. Yeah, it's not only that. It's like pride. You, you know how many times, like, something doesn't work out because one person couldn't control their pride? 
I, I believe that for me, like the whole fast food thing, like where some people will be like, oh man, that's kind of degrading, like whatever. I'm like, it is what it is, dude, because, you know, in the real world, at one point or another, like nature checks us and it's like, you got to learn how to control your pride. And if you don't, it's going to lead to a lot of uh, impulsive decisions. So for me personally, uh, I mean, those were like a few of the physical jobs I did. There was another job I did where I worked in a place called Zingo. Have you ever heard of it? No. Uh, so it was like the driving uh, company before like Lyft and Uber. And we would mainly drive like drunk people around. And I recall just during that uh, particular time, it taught me more about small talk, like how you could learn to talk to any personality type out there. You just needed to follow a few simple rules. So I think like these odd jobs, like it seems weird when you're doing it. But afterwards, when you're looking in hindsight, it makes you a very dynamic person. Mm. Yeah, I, I met I met the uh, Invis- one of the founders of Invisalign. Uh, basically, Zingo would only service like very high-end people, not like college kids, like drunk college kids or anything. I'm talking about like people that are like 50s, 60s, like going out for a, a drink after like closing a multi-million dollar business deal. So I was starting to like meet all these different uh, businessmen, a lot of like football players that play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I once picked up a guy uh, that was uh, that was at a party hosted by Jimmy Carter, who was a United States president. So, you know, you these odd jobs, man. Uh, I think they're they're very unique. I've heard from a lot of Americans that the way they improved their social skills was getting a job as a bartender. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never done it, but one of my fraternity brother, highly shy, introverted, did it, and it helped him out tremendously. Interesting. In India here, though, all of these jobs are somewhat blue-collar type jobs and not really something that your family would want you doing oh yeah no no here is the same thing or like if i told my mom and dad mom dad i'm working in 7-eleven they'll be like what the hell what are you doing there for (laughs) so uh no it's definitely not something that like is seen as like top tier but yeah man i mean actually now that we are talking about this it just kind of got me thinking about how different it is to make money nowadays it's actually going to be a very interesting world once the whole automation with robots things becomes easier. And we're seeing that to an extent even today. For example, for me, I buy a lot of my groceries online now. So earlier, like I would go to a mall and buy it. But for all the packed stuff now, I just order it from Amazon and all these websites and I get it delivered to my house. It's cheaper and it saves me time. Likewise with say, uh, a lot of things which, you know, typically you have menial workers, typically things which involve, like employ a lot of menial workers like packing stuff, all of these odd jobs are being automated. And it would be interesting to see in say 20 years how the lower IQ segment of the population fares. 
because the low IQs are not capable of doing high IQ work. Like they are not capable of learning AI and programming and maybe they can learn basic programming, but they're not going to build neural networks. They're just not. It's it's a physical limitation. So it would be interesting to, to see what they do and how they survive because a lot of jobs that they work today will no longer exist. And that process, we can already see it happening in the physical world, right? For I've, Right. Like, I, I used to, like, I, if I had like say five employees at a business size of say, $100,000 a year, I could grow my business to a million dollars a year and still have just five employees because I can use software and make those five employees way more productive than if they were alone. So jobs are not just being automated. New jobs aren't coming up in the market because software does the same thing or it makes existing employees produce twice as much. It's going to be very interesting to see how the low IQs fare in the future. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think what you're bringing up is a great point. And to give you my prediction, I think more and more people are going to become some type of content creator in the near future. That won't work. Because it's... I I did see your tweet. It's not scalable. Go ahead. Well, see, this is my thing. So there's two predictions. The first one, when you say like it's going to be all automated... One thing that I could see people that like, let's say, aren't that gifted intellectually is to learn how to like maintain uh, the the automation. Because with, uh, you know, the IT field pretty much exists because software is not always reliable. It is capable of crashing. And that's what the production support team is for. Mm-hmm. So one prediction is more and more people are going to pick up certain production support roles that doesn't re- require too much thinking but requires more so like following simple procedures to manage uh, the code, which probably took their jobs. And another prediction I do have is like more people are going to create uh, like some form of content and then just stack it with media. But you are saying that you don't think about the content. You don't think it's going to work. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work because content creation is really about getting attention, right? And there's only so much attention in the world. So it can't scale so much in the sense that you you can't pay attention to 1,000 different influencers. You can't. And but influencers that's not what I mean. as a business is something that, you know, is very top heavy in the sense that the ones at the top have all the attentions and the ones at the bottom don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Well, what I mean, Harsh, is instead of like, you know, instead of doing that, um, you ever read the book? I think we brought it up. Uh, 1,000 True Fans. Yeah, but that's scalable. That's not scalable. No, not everyone can have 1,000 True Fans in the sense that only say 1% of the world can have 1,000 True Fans. Or mathematically, maybe 0.1% or something. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Uh, before we go further, let's just, just so we're on the same page, are you talking about full-time jobs in the near future or a way to just add some money? No, full-time jobs, how you survive. Oh, full-time job. Okay, I thought you were asking like how can some people br- make more of like a side hustle. If we're talking full-time jobs, man, I'm, I think there are going to be some people entering the content creation space and doing their thing there. Of course. And I think a lot, I think a lot of people are going to start understanding IT more so they can manage more technology systems how many such people do you need though for example the population of the world is seven and a half billion 
you don't really need that many guys in IT. Don't you think in the future a lot of these guys will just be completely useless because agriculture itself is automated now? Man, that's a good question. I don't know if they're going to be useless, man. I mean, because I, we're always thinking like I, I'm pretty sure like a hundred years ago people thought like certain positions now were going to be useless, but just with complex systems, there's always emergence that occurs, and I see more jobs emerging that me and you technically don't have the foresight to see right now just because we don't even know what's going to happen in the next like couple of years. So my prediction is I don't think they're going to be completely useless. I think there's going to be certain roles like carved out for them. Maybe. I think that for most modern jobs, you need to have a certain level of IQ. And the people below that level of IQ are just shit out of luck. And will have to depend on charity for survival like free food grains from the government or whatever oh so you have a pretty like dark view of what's about to happen no i don't i don't i don't have a dark view i just think that we're going to be so prosperous in the future and we'll automate all the grudge work that no one really wants to do that the people who are only capable of doing grudge work will not have anything left to do well, what I'm talking about is, Harsh, um, dark for a certain segment of people that may not even have employment. No, they w- it won't be dark. They can like, just, they'll have like free food, right? And then they can like spend the time however they want, maybe. Or I don't know what they're going to do, but it won't be like they'll be tortured or something, you know? I think, and honestly, man, I think the world is growing towards creativity. Where, uh, like, the one of the guys that does my book covers, he doesn't really have much of an education or doesn't really do much other things, but he just taught himself graphic uh, design uh, through taking a lot of these courses. And now, like, you know, he has some clients that come to him from Fiverr and like recommendations. So I th- do see more and more people, you know, getting more creative down the line. I definitely see that to be the case. But all of those people are, say, above average IQ. Let's say they're all above 100 IQ. Someone below 100 IQ is not going to make a good graphic design. Let's assume that they're not, okay? Or let's assume that enough people have already become graphic designers that this field is no longer sufficiently profitable. Okay, let's assume that. So we might see that with a lot of fields because software does a lot of work for us. And say 10 years ago, for example, if you say 20 years ago, if you want to start a website, you would hire a guy and then he would create a website for you and you would pay him a few thousand dollars, right? And -hmm. now it takes you like two minutes to get a website with WordPress and hosting and everything handled for you. And it costs you $5 a month. So, or even like $3 a month or some, some ridiculously low numbers. So. Software has eaten up a lot of jobs and that's going to keep happening more and more. And a lot of the people who are not intellectually capable enough to handle or learn how to use software. And, you know, like you met all, like there are some really dumb people in the world, right? Like who can't, who, who are just fit for some menial labor. And that menial labor will no longer exist in the future. So, at some point, these guys will just have to survive on government handouts or whatever other thing. 
which could be i don't think the handouts will be in the form of money because money will be crypto in the future and crypto is difficult to acquire it can't be printed so i think the handouts will be like food grains or whatever and as a strategy i think that the government will also give them like free weed or whatever for entertainment <laughs> yeah so i i think this is some some place that me and you may disagree where i don't see it like that i actually saw this very unique article recently harsh where it talked about uh, uh you ever heard uh, thomas edison's quote um about success i have not let me just pull it up so i don't, I don't wing it so the quote is like um genius is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration and a scientist was over here breaking down this quote in terms of the future and he's like if you think about it the 99% that thomas edison's speaking about can technically be automated you know like the hard work and like the refining a lot of that stuff that could be automated either by uh people or by systems but the one thing that can't be automated is the inspiration that initial innovative insight it's like oh whoa you know like the first ever idea of let me create life math money that 1% inspiration so in the near future i see like more and more uh well not more people but i see a group of people who are geniuses in terms of creating ideas they're like idea machines where another group of people they're more so like handling the perspiration in one way shape or form whether it's through machines or whether like they do it themselves so what you're and, saying is that we'll have a group of people who will say come up with ideas like Elon Musk and a group of people who will execute those ideas correct absolutely Th- that's my personal vision Now, for it do you think that there might be some people who are neither capable of creating ideas and are neither create- capable of say executing them or who might just not be smart enough that by having them in the on the project they will just get in the way and i will give you an example of that so according to the us military if you are below a particular number in iq you will become detrimental to having the military the military is better off not having you let me figure that number out let me also not wing it let me let me see what the number is according to according to the us army us army iq requirement Okay so the US army requires like roughly an IQ of 92 so if your IQ is below 92 then the army doesn't consider you to say be good enough to be in the army and they consider that having you in the army will make the army weaker so there are people who are neither fit to command the army and people who are neither fit to serve in the army Do you think that we might have a large group of such people which 92 92 IQ is like 30 40% of the population probably and they can't even serve in the military so do you think we might end up in a situation where a good chunk of the population say even 20 30% might not fall in either of the categories that you mentioned where one side is say Elon Musk style executing ideas and the other side is building those ideas like hyperloop or whatever 
like the the guy for example who who's currently digging the tunnel that Elon Musk is building what do you mm-hmm. think about that when when we have machines digging the tunnel what which group will this guy fall into so there's there's a spectrum so basically with the inspiration part that's in a category of its own that's something that you can't automate and th- there's certain people who have to either show the desire to become an idea machine or they're just naturally gifted with creating ideas but let's talk about the perspiration part with the perspiration part i think there's going to be a certain sector that falls in the category you're talking about like even if they tried they couldn't but i think most people they'll find a way to figure it out define where, most how many what is your estimation man like 60% where i don't think i think when you're hungry like when you're like let's say you have kids a family you're not just going to be like oh well like you know i'm not going to figure it out okay there's now, some now hold on to that number okay arman 60% right i give you like and i'm saying uh, go ahead go ahead like give me an optimistic estimate according to you well th- that requires defining the question so are you talking about excluding the machine work like let's say anything not- that can be automated that inc- like that repetitive labor has been automated in this world and in this world there is only demand for things that machines can't do yeah in that case man i think most people are going to figure it out where i even say the number is higher than 60% where i don't think there's going to be like a big large part of the population just like sitting under like but just twiddling their thumbs i think we will be able to find work for them despite automation and i could actually give you an example uh so let's go back to that elon musk example with uh he thought of the idea uh, to build the tunnels he understands like what to do and then uh, we have machines now we have to find a middle ground territory for the workers so the machines need to be placed in certain locations and in that initial setup i believe there's going to be a tons of workers that can take care of that follow some orders afterwards as a machine has been launched it needs to constantly be given like software patches needs to be updated needs to be maintained and then from there there's another tier of jobs where you have to report like the data the analytics where a machine can give you the analytics but a human will give you the context of the analytics so i see like uh, right now harsh there's a new position called like data storytellers and chief storytelling officers which are emerging so i see more storytellers coming into the near future who could extract meaning from data cuz a machine isn't going to give you the meaning it's going to give you the data don't you think that's not 60% of the population though that's like a small percentage because 60% is like if you take the country you live in in the us for example that's 180 million people right so what's the question harsh do you really believe that 60 or more percent of people will be doing that stuff because 60% is 180 million in a world yeah. where machines do everything that is repetitive or can be automated i do bro and i don't think it's going to like require like genius level iq or or like even average where a lot of the stuff i'm speaking about are kind of repetitive like you give someone a training for 30 to 60 days and i say bro this is your livelihood like this is what is going to determine if you could feed your wife or kids or anything that can anything you can learn to do in 30 or 60 days can be automated 
something's can't harsh can you give me an example uh, sure so data storytelling where let's say guys like you me uh, like we thought of the ideas but we don't have the time to like go through all the um, data we need a storyteller to give us meaning of the data I how much that's progress are we making that, that's not true so you can there are software who will also give you context and to be able to understand like for like for example for basic context software can give it to you easily okay for complex you know for in-depth analysis you need extremely intelligent people like extremely intelligent people to understand why something like a black swan event happened okay 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 so based off of that now imagine this extremely intelligent person they speak like an extremely intelligent person where they're like over here jumbling their words they're not good public speakers don't okay. you think someone can learn the public speaking part so they can deliver the message in a way where another human can understand it do you see what i'm saying like when like you're going deeper into it what you're random saying. positions pop up i i see what you're saying i think that 60% is an overestimation i think we'll have closer to say 20% 30% of people who actually contribute to society in a meaningful like in any way and the rest of the population will have whatever they're doing done by machines and they can you know do whatever else they want like sing dance make music or enjoy their lives and eat free food from the government or whatever because their contributions their their what they can contribute to society is, is just going to be nothing because they lack that much intelligence and that's what the numbers tell me if you look at the iq charts etc like 50% of the people are below 100 in iq yeah harsh and i think this is another fundamental difference we may have where i don't like i i could tell like you know iq is a pretty big like standard of intelligence in your world view personally for me man like i don't really know my iq i don't care too much about it i care more about like cq like curiosity quotient where i've seen an iq exam before all it does is it confuses me i don't i, I honestly question like the like the validity of that exam but i do think if someone shows the curiosity to learn i think there will be positions for them in the near future because i just don't see a society where a bunch of people are just sitting on their butt getting handouts where you know you could make the joke like well there's so many people like that doing that nowadays yeah but i don't think nature is wired to keep us just like sitting idle for too long i do see emergence of they'll find new jobs something to up. do it's just it won't be work like what will be TV. work for i think i think they'll just watch tv I'm pretty sure there's going to be more jobs in communication skills coming up in the near future. So make sure y'all are subscribed to the Armani Talks YouTube channel. I mean, no, no, but no, I'm I'm being serious. I I do think that there's going to be more jobs harsh which requires us to communicate, which requires us to learn. Like for example, let me actually ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Copywriting. Do you think someone who has the desire to learn copywriting can learn it? If they are sufficiently intelligent, yes. Otherwise, no. and what do you mean by sufficiently intelligent like they need a high iq score or yes. the desire to learn copywriting is a lot about understanding why people behave in a certain way and why what would actually convince them to purchase a product and saying those things to them okay on the web page 
And while there are, like, say, steps you can follow, like make an FAQ, whatever, whatever, a good copywriter needs to be intelligent because if they're not, then they can't be creative because creativity is a function of intelligence. Just like curiosity is a function of intelligence. I think everyone's curious regarding different stuff, Harsh. Yes, but the more intelligent they are, the more curious they are. And the people who are less intelligent tend to not be curious at all. For example, when you were in school, Arman, did you ever notice that some some of the dumber kids, they just don't care. They accept everything at face value and they don't care to know why something is the way it is. Well, in school, I was kind of like that because I was being given a curriculum and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I think like if you put me in a different context, like... Uh, there was untapped curiosity. You just got to guide the person to the right field. Where you ever heard the quote, how you do one thing is how you do everything? Yes, it's a book of five rings quote, right? Yeah, but I'm not a big fan of that quote because imagine if I put you in like school right now or if I put you in work, a uh, 40-hour a week job, you may seem to be lazy or disinterested because that's not your grind. But if you can find or help someone find the right curiosity for them. I just think the mind is wired to be curious. And we just got to make sure we're asking people the right questions to help them unlock that curiosity. I think that's true for the group of people who are sufficiently intelligent. And it is not true for the group of people who are not sufficiently intelligent. And I think that traces back to your, like, your importance of the IQ exam, right? Not the IQ exam, the intelligence itself. The IQ exam is a very crude way to measure intelligence. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, and, a, it's a bad measure. It's not an accurate measure at all. But the fact remains that you need to be intelligent to do certain tasks and to be able to produce certain types of things. And the more intelligent you are, the more creative you will be and the more curious you will be. All of these traits are heavily correlated with intelligence, some exceptions aside. And I think that we are moving at a future where all the jobs that pay well and have meaning require intelligence and all the jobs that don't require intelligence which exist today will no longer exist in the future. For example, if you take a taxi driver in a world where we have self-driving cars, millions of taxi drivers will no longer serve a function. Just like how if, if we have, say, computers to do basic work for us, we don't need to hire a bunch of people to do the same work for us. For example... Earlier, a corporation would hire thousands of employees to, say, compute things, produce reports, and all of that is just done by a computer now very quickly. And all of these jobs are lost, and some of them did find work in other industries. But overall, once we have a situation where robots and software is able to do more and more and more, we will find that there are not enough lower IQ jobs available in the market for the vast amount of low IQ people that exist today. 
especially for say things like agriculture or the military or what have you and these industries employ more people than people presume like these are billions of people and at some point in the future i don't know i don't think this future is going to come say in the next 5 years or 10 years but at some point maybe in the next 50 years these guys will have to depend on the goodwill of the government or other people for their survival and this is going to happen first in the more developed countries and then in the less developed countries and it's kind of already happening where you have a lot of people who live on charity and they they're okay with it mhm like you take someone who say lives on social security and works a job okay let's say they work at like a minimum wage job but they also need that social security check for to survive now if they were like say like someone who was truly curious and intelligent then they would have already found a better job to do why would they still be working as a waiter you get what right. i'm trying to tell you mm-hmm. the fact that they are currently a waiter at 45 years old goes to show that this person could not find and cannot find something better to do and once the position of a waiter no longer exists this guy is just going to be useless i see where you're coming from because you you're basically saying okay well this guy you know had 45 years to find and show more ambition but he didn't and my only rebuttal would to that would be well yeah he didn't really technically if we're going down to the first order principles he didn't technically need to show more ambition because if that's what he was capable of with the opportunities that he was given he's like ah whatever you know i got other interests i'll just do this job for the sake of doing it but let's say that i don't think that's why they do it i think that they just their their circumstances and their lack of ability in other matters force them to be and work these jobs because these are not pleasant jobs that you would want to do yeah but let's say like this job didn't even exist if it didn't exist i think there will be another unpleasant job that we're probably like ah oh, man like how could people possibly do that for that long it'll just take a replacement it'll just find he'll just find another job like that now arman now think as a company okay now as a businessman you have two options you can either hire someone to do that unpleasant job or you live in a world where computers and software can do a lot of things for you would you rather hire someone or would you use software i would rather use software exactly. but here's my th- no but here's my thing with that the whole idea of um software just like completely running on their own not needing any form of human intervention no 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 one saying it, that i just what i'm saying is that if for it one piece of software can require one maintainer and replace 10000 people Uh trust me bro trust me I, I I did a speech uh I <laughs> I started off by saying uh machines don't argue back but people do so I'm like team you on this where if I'm given the opportunity I'm choosing software any day but here's what I'm trying to say where if you keep peeling back on the software more and more and more mm-hmm. what seems automated to the outside person at some level is a human is involved in some way shape or form yeah. and it doesn't matter how much a person thinks oh this is all automated no if you keep learning about the industry more there's plenty of people there and what i'm trying to say is that those p- places where the people are at those waiters at 45 years old are going to pick up those jobs 
which I'm telling you, it doesn't require that much intellect where like, oh, no, man, like um, you definitely can't figure it out. But it requires a human presence, right? The whole idea that everything can be automated, I think I'm not sold on that yet. No, 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 that, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, let me let me use some numbers here. Let me let me let me think of some numbers. Okay, let's say that there's a software, okay, and this machine or software needs 10 people to operate. For example, WhatsApp has like 77 or some some weirdly no, no low numbers of no, low number of employees, okay? Mm-hmm. And they send and receive billions of messages. Now, by that same analogy, let's say that there's a software and they only need 100 people to function, okay? Their company has 100 employees. And for them, like adding 100 extra would be like doubling their strength, but 100 in absolute numbers is like really low. But let's say that this software replaces, say, 500,000 people from the real world. Like it replaces their jobs. Let's just say that, okay? Let's say it's accounting software. And it makes accounting really fast. And across the world, we don't really need as many accountants. If I was hiring 10 accountants, I only need two now. So we have, say, let's say that 10 million accountants across the world are out of a job using a software that is being run by 100 people. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is that the 10 million accountants that have been fired are not going to find, let's say, the company that owns the software hires 100 of these accountants. So you are right that some of these people went to the company, but in absolute numbers, the number of jobs that were displaced versus the number of jobs that were created are like ocean and a drop. Mm -hmm. What about the 9,900,999,900? outside of the 100 people who actually went and worked for the IT company because the IT company only needed so many people because it's IT, it doesn't need that many people. Like WhatsApp has like 50 or 100 employees or some some really low number. Let me check it. How many employees does WhatsApp have? And WhatsApp has also replaced a lot of these postal jobs, right? Like it has mm-hmm. 55 employees. And I bet WhatsApp and email have replaced thousands if not like millions of people who worked for like the postal companies so these companies aren't absorbing enough people as they're displacing and i'm not saying it's a bad thing at all i love automation what i'm saying is that all these millions of people who are being displaced there's no way that even one percent or two percent of them will be absorbed by the software industry as a whole Right. And this isn't, I would actually say that this isn't a new problem. This actually happens even nowadays, where if you think about it, uh, back in the days, like a lot of these farmers were doing a lot of the stuff that the machines now do. And the thing is, a lot of farmers like, you know, had to dip, they had to find a different industry. And what I'm trying to say is, where, let's say, all they've known their entire life is farming. And at this point, they're like, I can't even imagine starting over in another industry. Tough luck. Like, you're going to have to find a different industry. So these people like that are being displaced by code, sure, I, I do give you that. I think code is going to take a lot of jobs. And I do think, you know, in certain pockets, there's going to be certain people. 
But let's say even after like all the people get placed, now it's like two hundred thousand people that are like, I don't have any jobs. Now what? Find something else. And where I think you and me defer is like, you think at a certain point there's going to be people that are like, trust me, I can't find anything else. Where I think most people are going to be able to find something else. And for me personally, Harsh, I'm not. I don't really know the IQ thing too much, but I think like if your back is against the wall and like you have to, uh, you'll learn a lot of fields that you think are just not possible. And to give you an example, Buying drugs like, on the street. <laughs> I mean, you ever watch Breaking Bad? <laughs> I ever watch Breaking Bad? Some I've seen. I think I think I saw Breaking Bad all the way back in 2013. So whatever was released back then. Ah, uh, dude, I'm rewatching the series right now, and it's it hits different when. You have a little bit more life experience where it just makes you empathize with the characters more. Uh, you want to talk about Breaking Bad or you want to keep talking about what we were talking about before? Whatever works with you. <laughs> I think I we're not think... going to reach an agreement on what we're talking about. We just have different fundamental assumptions where I think that IQ plays a role and people who are less intelligent are just not going to be able to do things. And you feel that people who have enough incentive to do something are going to do it anyway right good stuff man you actually boiled out my position perfectly um all right cool so you want to talk about breaking bad yeah sure let's tell me about breaking bad what are you what different opinions do you have now versus when you saw it the first time so the first time i ever watched it i thought it was overrated i was like yeah whatever because in the u.s and i'm sure overseas as well it's regarded as the greatest drama of all time it is. It's so slow, though. That's what I thought the first time. I'm like, man, it's so slow. It's so fucking boring. How do people like it so much? Uh, the second time I watched it, I was like, ah, uh, I guess it's a little underrated from my second time watching it, which was three years later. Nowadays, I'm watching it, and I'm like, whoa, man, Like this show is so freaking good. Mainly because, uh, and by the way, folks, if you guys are listening right now and you plan to watch Breaking Bad, I may give some spoiler alerts. So just go ahead and skip in the, the timestamp. The main character dies in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically, um, what I appreciate more now, Harsh, is like the transformation of the character. Where, uh, yes, the first season was kind of slow to some people. But if it wasn't slow, the monstrous change of Walter White wouldn't have been more impactful. Like the first season, you're like, oh man, this guy wouldn't even harm a fly. And later on, he's killing people like it's like swatting a fly. And I'm like, my God, man, like the show is brilliant. I just think it teaches about human nature, Harsh. Uh, did you finish the entire season or just watched a few episodes? I don't remember. I watched it back in 2000, 2013 or 14 or some, some, a long time ago. I think I remember where. There's a guy who gets high on meth and like he says tight, tight, tight all the time. I remember I remember that character. And I remember this very calm, composed black character who was like really cool. Like, uh, I think oh, his name uh, was Gus. Gus. Like yeah. he owned a chicken restaurant. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Los Hermanos or something. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of symbols behind it where he kind of represents like the faceless corporation where for him, it's just about the profit. He doesn't care about like the spirit of the company too much. And there's a lot of debate that, you know, the characters in the show can create 
Or just a quick little dummies version, just to give you a quick little recap. Mm-hmm. The main character is Walter White. Uh, he's thus far been a loser in his life. Uh, he he was a genius mind in terms of chemistry, but he made some poor decisions. Now he teaches in a freaking high school. Uh, he's way overqualified. He's been diagnosed with cancer, and he only has like 18 months to live. But now he's worrying. He's like, oh, dang, how is my family going to survive? A newborn is on the way. So he uses his chemistry background to uh, create meth. And since he's a chemist, uh, he creates like this amazing meth that sells out immediately. And he's basically making in a week what he makes as a year as a chemistry teacher. And throughout the series, we just see his evolution from like the neighborhood nice guy into like a drug lord. Interesting. Is he kill? I think the U.S. has a lot of people who do, who do drugs, right? They do, especially in certain pockets. So do people usually use meth or do they usually use something like, say, weed or cocaine or something? Nah, most people do like coke uh, and weed. Like if you do meth, that's like a whole different ballgame. What difference... Like, does it feel different when people, say, use meth versus use cocaine? Oh like, yeah. Do these if, drugs have different effects or do they all just get you high? So I've never like, you know, I don't know much about it from personal experience, but I'm talking about like the social stigma. If you tell someone like, oh, I do meth, that's like, I mean, that's just like, people are like, wait, what? Instantaneously, they'll look at you different. Where if you tell someone, oh yeah, I smoke weed, they'll be like, ah, oh, whatever, you know? It's kind of like harsh of like, let's say one of your buddies is like, yo man, I just got laid. They'll be like, you'll be like, oh, okay, whatever. But if he's like, oh, I just uh, smashed a prostitute, you'll be like, wait, what? Ah, the yeah. social stigma. I see. Right. It's, it's something that's more accepted in the society. Like drinking is like okay and not like a big taboo as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Interesting. And it, so- depends, it depends on the context where if you tell someone who normally drinks like weed and alcohol that you do Coke, they'll look at you different. You see what I'm saying? I see. So it has levels. Like there's like meth is like the worst, and then like coke is somewhere in the middle, and then alcohol and weed are like normy stuff. Yeah, like if I were to give you like a little a gradient, I would say weed, alcohol. People are like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, then there's uh, coke. Uh, a few people do it. Then there's uh, Molly, which like what? certain people do. Molly, like um, people do it in like these concerts and everything. And Is then it like you got like, I've heard yeah, of that I think, one. A, I think it's the same thing. Okay. And then there's like, afterwards, if you're like, oh yeah, I do heroin and meth, we're like, whoa, whoa. Damn. So how's the drug culture like in India? I don't think many people take drugs here. Like I have never taken a drug or like any, you know, never taken an entertainment type drug. We've all taken like pharmaceutical stuff for like, you know, when you get fall sick. The doctor gives you a drug to fix you, but nothing like for entertainment or recreation. And it's not considered normal here at all. Like We have some younger people who do weed and everything, but it's not socially accepted. And frankly, just not even right to do it, in my opinion, at least. Do you guys have hookah over there? We do, but I've never done it. Okay. 
So you never like tried a cigarette or anything? No. Before? I've only tried alcohol a few times when I was 16, 17 years old and I had like bad company. But I just decided not to do it. So I stopped. And I've never done any mind altering drugs or things of that sort. Unless I was sick and the doctor gave me something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing I remember, like a lot of these drugs can really mess you up too. Because I remember one time I got this really bad allergy. And the doc gave me like medicines for that thing. And that medicine would like basically have me sleeping all day. So these things are not good for your body by any means. Like they're helping you fix an acute disease. But to do it for the fun of it is stupid in my opinion. And it's not considered normal here at all. Like even drinking is not right. Like it's not considered to be that socially accepted by all circles here in india but it is getting more and more acceptance lately because of western culture and because of how many people have started drinking now it's it's a network effect you know if say you're the only one in your community who drinks then you're like an outcast but if more and more people start drinking then you form a clique and then it becomes okay it's like pure pressure at that point not somewhat but not i would not say pressure i would say that the social stigma against it goes away Mm -hmm. do you guys have peer pressure over there or does the concept not exist too much because you're saying that the norm is not to drink in parties peer pressure in general or peer pressure to drink because peer pressure is a human thing everyone has peer pressure but Uh, peer pressure regarding drinking or it smoking depends up, on uh, which taking a hit. circle you are in. Because if you say hang around smokers, then they will try to get you to smoke. You hang around drinkers, they will try to get you to drink. So it exists for sure. I would say that mm-hmm. it isn't something that is considered to be normal by society. In the sense, it's considered to be a vice. Hmm. Okay. You know, it's, it's considered to be something that is not good, and it's. Okay, but let, let me let me try to give you an analogy for better understanding. What do you think of people who sit and jack off all day? Like, am I like I'm aware of it that they're doing that? Yeah, they just all they do is sit and like masturbate all day in their room. As a weirdo. Yeah, but that's it's self-destructive behavior for the sake of pleasure, right? That's how drinking is perceived in India. It's, it's not considered to be like a cool thing. It's considered pretty much to be a self-destructive behavior that people like to engage in. Mm-hmm. So there, do they have DUIs over there often or is that very rare? What is that? A driving under influence, like when you drink alcohol and ah, got in yeah, a car we accident. have a lot of that. We have a lot of that. So yeah, if you get if you drink and drive, you get like a big fine. You end up in jail as well and. But people still do it because okay, let 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 me let me give you a bit of context, okay? India has a big mm-hmm. population and a lot of the population does menial labor. In the sense that their life actually is really shitty. They just for example, a laborer is moving bricks from one location to the other or you know, they they're doing a lot of very boring and non stimulating work. And they have they would go insane, you know, if they were not drunk or not 
doing some or the other drug okay they would go crazy mm-hmm. so you have a lot of these laborers who do consume stimulants like some cheap drug or lots of alcohol or whatever because it has to like it keeps them sane right where otherwise mm-hmm. you're moving bricks from one location to another for the rest of your lives you will go fucking insane so usually you see more drug abuse in that segment of the population and in like really rich people like about upper middle class people outside of that you don't really see that much drug abuse it's just really poor people and really rich people you guys see pan over there right the tobacco you ever heard of pan before yeah it's, it's chewing tobacco it's like it's a mouth freshener yeah it's like a leaf and then inside you put tobacco you put a few of the other things and it gives you a buzz like do you guys have that in india yeah we have that in india but i've never tried that as well <laughs> i mean i feel like a prude talking to you <laughs> <laughs> no no i mean i'm not saying i've tried any of these but hold on this is something that you know people that don't even drink in like bangladesh or india they're like oh no no i don't do that but i eat pan and that's all i need and i, I one time spe- smelled pan it was the nastiest thing i think i've ever smelled or there's like it they put some shit in there that looks like wood i don't know it's man. called chuna I, I think are you talking about chuna yeah well that's the white one there's yeah, another thing called ch- chupari ah uh, supari i've had that that's that's a normal thing i think it just grows on a plant it's like a dried fruit in a way i've seen supari Ugh. trees it's like a berry that grows on a tree and then it hardens as it dries and then it's broken down into little pieces that's a party it is good i had it a couple of times as a kid if you google supari you will find the fruit and the fruit is then dried off and that it's i think in english it's a betel nut i don't know man it just looks like wood to me and i'm like that's disgusting i would never try that where here harsh and there was like this phase i was saying 2000 mm, 2011 era where hookah was becoming very popular and that was known as flavor tobacco and you know i had this buddy that came from houston uh, to the down like the tampa area and i just recall like a bunch of us would just go there and it, people would go there study it became like the social thing for a while but hookah is not like a good it's not good for you but i know in middle eastern cultures people try that a lot i don't know it seems like smoking a thousand cigarettes at one time you know mm-hmm. you're just inhaling smoke so there's no way it can be good for you oh no it's a, it, there's like nothing good regarding it i think people do it like for an entire hour right yeah but uh, you know you're normally going with like i would say 5 to 10 people at least so it's getting split up between the group wait so how many cigarettes have you smoked if you smoke a hookah for 1 minute that's an interesting question let me google hookah to cigarette ratio they give you a very big bizarre number from what i recall okay so cigarette smokers typically smoke a cigarette for 5 to 7 minutes taking say 8 to 12 puff, puffs of 40 to 75 ml each in hookah session um the which lasts for say 30 to 80 minutes or even longer and the smoke inhaled is about a liter of smoke so it's about 100 cigarettes in one session what the fuck 
Yeah, What's man. the fuck? It's it's 100 cigarettes in one session. Damn, that's intense. Okay, so I'm looking at this, okay? cdc.gov, so I think it's the American Health Organization. It says that in in a typical 1-hour session, you end up smoking 100 to 200 cigarettes worth of smoke. So that is so crazy. 200 cigarettes in one session and people do this stuff on the regular. Yeah, a lot of people did it on the a lot of people bought their own hookah and they would just smoke it at their crib. Because if you go to a hookah bar, getting one hookah is I'll say 20 bucks or so and $5 per refill. But if you buy your own hookah, then all you need is like the tobacco, which is like 7 bucks, but it'll last you for I would say like 10 sessions. I'm just I had a blown away by the number like 200 times the amount of smoke they would inhale from a cigarette. How is this legal? That I don't know. And I actually heard like that number before and I heard like the number was distorted, but I'm not going to speak more on that cuz I don't know. And it was like a hookah guy that was telling me. It's like, "Oh no, no, those numbers are BS." And it was like they're talking about like completely unflavored hookah. And apparently there was like all these variables they knew about. But yeah, I mean one thing that I will say is that's something that I tried in undergrad, but it just I I don't do it. it it's not um it doesn't ha- have any sort of benefits. So nah. So you guys don't do you guys have hookah bars there? We do. We do have hookah bars here. But it's like you're asking the wrong person, okay? <laughs> I mm-hmm. just I haven't really been to any one of them. I keep getting invited, I just never go. Do your parent or, or excuse me, not your parents, do your friends do any of this stuff like hookah uh, some of drinking them. weed? Some of more like a lot of my friends drink and some of they're, them smoke hookah and whatever what have you, you know, all the modern they're stuff. They're never like, "Oh, harsh man, take a shot with us." Oh, they're always like that, but you know, <laughs> you have to say off. no. Yeah. You're like the DD the designated driver not really i never drive for them in the sense that you know some if they're going out for a hook i just will not join besides i don't have time for all this bullshit anyway do they know about like your business grind as well the affiliate marketing side of it yes the lmm side not really not not really Well, that's one good thing I would say in just regards to fitness where when you have fitness in your life it's very difficult to do these other things as well where you'll noticeably feel like a big difference like let's say you're smoking hookah and trying to go to the gym later that day you'll just feel different so when you have like the weights or some form of gym activity in your lifestyle it centers you in a different way Definitely. In fact, say doing proper strength training is going to force you to fix your lifestyle because let's say that you are someone who only sleeps 5 hours a day because you're busy doing whatever. You're just not going to be able to lift what you need to lift the next day because you just won't have recovered. So it's going to force you to sleep properly. Likewise, you will find that eating enough and eating healthy and having enough protein will make it much easier for you to move up your numbers. so you are going to do that so it forces you to be accountable because if you are living a shitty life you will notice the next day that your body isn't performing how you wanted to perform mhm 
I'm kind of curious though, because we do talk about productivity a good amount, and you don't have to say this out loud, but is there anything that in your life you're like, man, I do this, but I shouldn't do it? Mm. You don't have to say it out loud though. Just like I sleep yes way too no. late sometimes because of my business. Like a lot of the time, for example, right now we're still talking and it's twelve thirty. So by the time I fall asleep, it's going to be two o'clock because I still have a couple of work, some stuff left to do, and I'm still left with my five hundred words a day. So by the time I fall asleep, it's going to be two thirty ish. So I end up sleeping really late. Where I, sometimes I'll sleep at three as well if I have like a late business call. especially mm-hmm. when i'm talking to americans or you know with my american business partners and right. that kind of messes up my sleep schedule like like imagine waking up at 11 or 12 right. so that's like the worst part of my schedule but that's something i can't really help because i live in like a completely opposite time zone from the rest <laughs> of my business work oh yeah and by the way welcome to the 500 uh, word challenge group Hey, I'm glad to be there. <laughs> It's actually super interesting that I knew everyone who was in the group already, and I knew that you were in the group since before you told me. Because oh, I was, you? yeah, I I was invited to that group when it was being made. I just told, I just tell them, I just told the guys no because I was too busy. But then in the new year on the first of Jan, or I decided that I'm going to write more, and I found find it. that the habit was a little difficult to stick to because something or the other will always come up and then I'll do it tomorrow today I was very busy with marketing work or whatever so I just hit up our mutual friends and I told them that let let put me in the group I'm going to do it and that's how we ended up together yeah when uh, one of the members are like oh harsh is joining I was like wait which harsh And then I'm like, wait a minute, how many harshes do you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to call, or I'm so used to people calling you LMM or Life Math Bunny. So when he said harsh, I was like, oh, that's dope. Because when you joined the group, I was like, awesome. I felt good because I know you pretty well, and it's now a brotherhood. Yeah, I think that these accountability groups really help, especially when you know other people, because then it becomes a social thing, you know. For example, if I say stop writing, then I'm going to look like a piece of shit. Like I can't even <laughs> stick to like a simple thing like writing 500 words a day. So I have to keep posting. Otherwise, I look like a piece of shit. Like I, I look like weak, and that that thing is there for everyone. Like you know, I think even you have the thing where you're just not feeling like feeling like writing. Mm-hmm. But since you're in the group, you don't want to skip a day because then it's like, what happened? Why is Arman not here today? Arman is getting lazy. Right, and I have this, like, this streak that I've, you know, stuck with harsh that I don't want to break. Like, I've posted a tweet uh, for over a thousand days now, and wrote on my email list for a thousand days. So I'm like, man, let's just keep this going. And when our mutual friend hit us, hit me up, I was like, hell yeah, man! Like, let's do it. And when I heard you're joining, I thought, yo, this is dope because you guys are people that I take seriously. Where some people they're like, oh yeah, yeah, let's do it. They talk a lot and they don't put in the work, or you guys are known to put in the work. Yeah, I think in our accountability group, everyone does the work, and we don't. We rarely have people miss. And we're not complainers. Where I I know you're like you say, you have some accountability groups, but I've been in a few where I've experimented, where I see a lot of the times people just become whiners. They talk about why they can't do it, and then others keep like. 
giving them a pat on the back, like, oh, no, no, uh, so sorry for you. I'm like, man, just shut up and do the damn work, bro. <laughs> so you, I, I don't recall, like, you or, like, the, our other friend whining too much. We're all businessmen, you know. So we're yeah. used to getting things done. And yeah, get <laughs> we're used to losing money when we're not getting things done. So you learn to stop complaining and start doing. Well, no, but that's one. That's why it was even more shocking. Or like certain groups I'm in, I'm like, man, this is like gonna be a sharp dude, and he's over here like, well, I can't do it because of this, this. Hey, you guys want to get a Zoom call? And like, I'm on the Zoom call, and all they're doing is like, they're making excuses. I'm like, huh? Like, you know, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah, you gotta be careful. You know, some people just act like they're very, you know, action oriented, but they don't really get anything done. Like, what did you achieve in January, Arman? Tell me, and I'll start with me if you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, either or works. Okay, for me, in January, in the past thirty days. Or 27 days because it's being recorded on the 27th. I've written three articles. Uh, sorry, I've written four articles and I've published three articles. This is my ninth podcast for the week, for the month. And I think I'll do one more. So I'll have 10 podcasts in January. I built the privacy coins module for our teacher self crypto course, which will be launched on the, on the 31st. And I completed one computer science course. I've also not missed a single session in the gym. And I've also been on a bunch of other things that are not related to LMM, like my voice classes and things of that sort, affiliate marketing business. All of that I've, I've been working on. So I have, January has been productive for me. I haven't wasted any time whatsoever. I haven't missed a single gym session. Most people miss like more sessions in a month than I miss all year. <laughs> it's too funny, man. Uh, congratulations man because that's um that's putting in work and you're starting off the year strong so congratulations for that and for me man i mean i've been i published what is it 10 plus blogs um posted 10 plus podcasts on my armani talks podcast 10 plus videos i released two new classes for skillshare i got a few clients so i've been working with two of them recently and, you know, I'll probably bring it up in more detail in our next call, but I released my first ever fiction book called Cobra. And uh, the book is doing pretty well on Amazon right now, one of the top uh, psychological fictions. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of funny because we were actually talking about writing a fiction, uh, I believe two, two or three episodes ago. And it was definitely an experience because I've been writing a lot of nonfiction. So writing a fiction is um, different. So just got that published for this month as well. Interesting. So you've had a very productive month as well. Absolutely, man. Because for me personally, I realized my system for content creation, where I try to treat it like an athlete, where I don't just wait for inspiration to strike. I have this plan that I do every single day, and I just keep on executing. I see. So it's like a, how you do one thing is how you do everything, Arman. You prove it yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like for me, like for the past two years, like, you know, it's kind of like this discipline that I've been building, like three YouTube videos a week, three podcasts, three blogs. And these are tiny. These aren't like, I'm not over here trying to say, oh, I'm going to record like 
uh, three and a half hour podcast with LMM three times a week. I, I think that's where consistency and humility kind of go hand in hand, where the Armani Talks brand is built on short stories. So can I release three short stories a week? Hell yeah. So I think this is a, just a lesson in consistency for those people who made it all the way here, where you got to like know what works for you as well. Definitely agreed to that. Imagine if we did three of these a week. I, I think we could, but like, just imagine if like <laughs> we had to make that commitment. It would be, be like us doing this full time. We'll have to figure out a way to monetize it. Right. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like when people are thinking about consistency for the first time, they'll like, they'll try to bite off more than they can chew. And I think it's much smarter to just prove to yourself that you could get a small thing working before you expand from there. Agree, agreed to that as well. I think that it really comes down to habit. And do you know this quote? I think it's by Socrates that excellence is a habit, not a deed. Mm. Or something like that. Let me pull the exact quote. Like It has some kind of conclusion that excellence is a habit. I think it's by... Oh, it's not Aristotle, or is it Aristotle? I don't know. They're all Europeans to me. <laughs> oh, we are Aristotle. what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Ah, yes. Oh, oh, shit. When you search for that quote, the first one says, dash, not Aristotle. <laughs> That's what I was like, wait a minute. Am I I'm misquoting that? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But it's true. Uh-huh. You ever heard that one quote, like, master of none? Um, where you're like the jack of all trades, but master of none. Right. But th- then it's like, that's not the full quote. So the full quote is jack of all trades, master of none, though often better than a master of one. So I'm just like, ah, I right? always disagreed with the conclusion of the previous quote, the one I knew where the jack of all trades is inferior to the master of one, because as a businessman, you want to be the jack of all trades, not the master of one. So I think that what you say now, the full quote makes more sense to me. For me too, because there was this one tweet where I just quote the first half. And then there was like this English teacher who was like, oh, make sure you quote the rest of it, son. I was like, the rest of it? What are you talking about, old lady? And then I look and I was like, oh, snap, she's right. It's actually very interesting. Sometimes a lot of these English teachers are looked down upon, but they have a lot of wisdom because they've read a lot of these older books. Absolutely. I, I, um, there's this one English teacher that I'm pretty close with, and she is like in her 60s, and she's thus far bought like all my books. And um, it's great just to hear her perspective. Hmm. I, I've actually come to notice, Harsh, that a lot of people in their 60s and 70s that are on our side of Twitter are so freaking humble sometimes where there's this guy that's been like this gentleman who has been getting my book level of mentality and turning it into threads. He's like, I think double my age. But the fact that he's like, you know, reading the level of mentality with so much like curiosity, it amazes me. So, I mean, it's great. Like the older yet curious that's a nice spirit right there and that's really rare too you know that's so Mm -hmm. rare like most old people are like super sad in their ways i think a lot of old people who follow me 
they give me like for example if they disagree with me they just like dismiss it as like he'll figure it out as he grows like as he grows older <laughs> like and you know, like a lot of old women follow me and they they agree with me all of my comments on feminism and they kind of like dismiss the tone in which it's said it's like you know boys will be boys like <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really funny <laughs> you ever heard of steve harvey before no so steve harvey's like this one comedian but he gives a, a lot of blue pill advice at times right you mm-hmm. you heard you know what blue pill is right yes yes so anytime like you know someone is telling him why he's wrong he's like these young knuckleheads are just so damn stubborn <laughs> and it's it's just so funny cuz like he says like if you don't believe in his mindset it's kind of like what these aunties are saying with you like one of these days he'll figure it out no these aunties were like not aunties i wouldn't they agree with me like they agree with me they just don't like the words i use Do you know what i mean they they would wish i was more polite yeah but they dismiss it as you know the boys mhm like boys will be boys you know <laughs> sometimes i read your uh, instagram comments and it's so funny cuz uh, you know a lot of people agree with you but the people that disagree with you they're like uh, you could have said it nicer yeah instagram <laughs> seems to have a much lower average iq and it seems to be a very pacified place I'll tell you what okay like so I I remember posting something like um you want to be big and strong not ripped because when you are ripped you will end up wearing a shirt and you end up looking like the average dude okay and mm-hmm. there was a guy who like who was basically like his reply was that this is exactly what a pussy who could never get ripped would say and <laughs> in in the prof- guy's profile picture like the guy was overweight so it was very ironic that he was commenting this so I just said that dude look at your profile picture you're overweight and then i got a strike for saying that so i just you wrote that long, yeah i i wrote that dude look at your profile picture like what are you you're like the last person who should be calling anyone a pussy and then i got a strike on instagram for like bullying people so i no longer reply to any comment on instagram because it seems so crazy man that's hilarious dude and you've had uh, some accounts ripping you off too Oh yeah there's a guy with a million followers on Instagram and he basically takes my tweets and then he acts like he came up with it and then he posts it on Instagram and he has like 850 or 870,000 followers and that's so crazy because I have about 40,000 Instagram followers and this guy is like 20 times my size and he's using my content which is not fair <laughs> you at least give me a shout out Yeah, dude. At least give me a shout out, okay? Like you have such a big account. <laughs> you should quote you. You gotta if you're using my content, can you at least mention my name so I can get some extra followers? <laughs> That's bullshit, man. I'd be totally happy with him using my content if he was giving me some credit. Like if I if I was gaining something from it at least. But here now, it's like I'm just being ripped off and counterfeited. Like the guy even made a product which is like a copy paste version of my self improvement program. and he even copied my sales copy like it uses the same words oh that's bullshit yeah it's just so crazy but it's bound to happen you know i'm surprised you didn't get a strike for that did you report his account what like i i did not report his account but it's not like someone say he didn't like I I would bet that his product uses like different words but he tries to copy the same content you know 
So he basically mm-hmm. reworded it, which I don't think is like something anyone will remove him for or deplatform him for. Like if it was word to word, I would have. But all the the the, the tweets he's copying from me is word to word. I saw that. So it's it's just you got to be careful of whom you take advice advice from because you might just end up a lot of these people who run all these accounts are like they don't actually have the life experience they're just copy pasting someone else's work and you're not learning from someone who knows what they're talking about you're just it's like taking advice from a scribe like you don't know the source mhm and i think it's such bs when like let's say you create content of some sort and you see it where if you don't create content you're like ah oh, whatever man it's just a couple of words but if you actually created it it's disrespect yeah it is it is in a way like not giving credit is like big disrespect by the way arman i really need to get going it's almost one i need to finish my 500 words and get some sleep For sure man I I think this is one of our longer episodes and I think it's one of our better episodes too so uh thanks for sticking around um any final announcements wait up for the 31st the privacy coins module for teacher self crypto is going to be released so have a look and we're going to make keep making more modules and you guys can keep learning awesome And thank you guys very much for joining today's episode and we will catch you next time. All right Arman see you have a good day.